Boxcaster Online. Authorization accepted. Uplink confirmed. Begin transmission. Zahariel thought back to the beasts he had fought and said, I do not know if they were evil as such, but each time I have faced one, I've seen something in its eyes, some, I don't know, desire to kill that's more than simply animal hunger. Something in the beasts is wrong. Then you are perceptive, Zahariel, said the lion. There is something wrong with the beasts. I don't know what it is. But they are not just some other race of beasts like horses, foxes, or humans. They are aberrations, twisted mistakes wrought from some early form that has not yet had the good grace to die out on its own. Can you imagine what it must be like to be so singular a creature? To go through life knowing, even on some animal, instinctual level, that you are alone and that there will never be more of you? Think how maddening that must be. The beasts were not just driven by hunger. They were insane, driven to madness by their very uniqueness. Trust me, Zahariel, we're doing them a favor by destroying them all. Zahariel nodded and sipped his wine, too caught up with the lion's words to dare interrupt him. A strange melancholy had crept into his leader's words, as though he were recalling a distant memory that flittered just beyond the reach of recall. And those were the soft, sultry tones of David Whitek. Uh, <laughs> and that's my ho- co-host, Greg Dan. And that was another reading from Descent of Angels here on... After Olenor. After Olenor, the Horus Heresy Book Club. Welcome back, folks. We are glad to be bringing you the second half of Descent of Angels. And look, we're coming out on a timely basis. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> It's a miracle. Dude, I went back and actually looked at all the release dates, and I was, like, embarrassed. I was like, holy mackerel, we really have, like, people who are listening to the show, it's like, man, it's been, like, two months. I'm like, no, it hasn't. Oh, yes, it has. Work in progress, guys. Work in progress. We're getting it down. Hey, we're here. We're going. I'm I'm excited. So... In all, in all seriousness, I think we're we're looking at more of a two-monthly schedule as being a realistic... Well, and if we really keep Time getting scale. this deep into the books, too, we may just break them up into half season, release them a little more often. So Absolutely. At least, because uh, we have too much fun talking about this to keep an entire book to two hours, I think. At this point, yes. I've given up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Especially hey. with the size of some of the books. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, lots of cool stuff before we jump back into the book on the 40K and 30K fronts. Um. First of all, thank you. We got a lot of responses from people on the uh, Fulgrim, uh, the uh, following Fulgrim episode the on our forums at garagehammer.net slash forums. Uh, lots of people chiming in, saying how much they liked it, and people letting us know that they've been uh, promoting the show on different websites and different social media. And yeah, that's brilliant. Yeah. Guys, thank you so much. That really... I, we can't say thank you enough. I mean, it's really cool that you even want to listen, but then to go tell other people they should listen, that really, I mean, that's just so cool. Every time I read that, I feel, feel really great. Like, you know, oh, hey, this is totally worth it. People are really enjoying it. Yeah, definitely. It's not just me and Craig. <laughs> just no, around. absolutely. Again, at um, was at a tournament at the weekend up in Liverpool. 
and my second round opponent um uh was uh Yian banks who was a listener to the show um so that was great we had a good five ten minute chat before we uh started playing nice uh, had to kind of call it off and say let's let's go play our game <laughs> um, <laughs> it's good fun all right okay so uh guys please uh keep uh you know keep keep putting stuff on the forums we're happy to have you guys there and um so other than that um just today, the uh, Horus, and this will be old news by the time it comes out, but the Horus model was previewed on the Forge yes. World site. Wow. I, I wonder, is like is that stairway part of his base, or is he just on that? Yes. For the, oh, so he's on that huge. Um, having a quick look at it, haven't had a chance to look at it properly. I think the, the, the parts of the stairway um, are on separate bases. So the actual bottom of it's around 40 mil, whatever they come on. Right. And then it extends up, or of course you can have him you know, anywhere you want, right. yeah. whichever way. Like you do in the, uh, the the leaked picture was just on the base. Um, I like. But Simon like, Egan was talking about how it was designed. Um, possibly a little bit of uh, design came from the picture that Neil Roberts did for Primarchs, which was a number of the Primarchs on Ulanor. Um It's the picture of the front of the book from Primarchs. That's with them all standing there, right? And yeah, Horace is talking to Fulgrim and stuff. And yeah, yeah. So that the balustrades and that are that design, but he then generic it up a bit so you can either have it as you know uh, the the pre Horace, good Horace, um, in this glorious place which is slightly run down, or you can you can choose to go the other way with it. Okay, so so Horace in that black armor, like every time I see that yeah. picture, it's him fighting the Emperor, and then you see pictures of Horace. Like back when he was in the Luna Wolves armor, and he didn't look anything like that. So, I kind of thought this was evil Horus. But then, as you pointed out, the picture on the Primarchs is right after Olinor. The and uh, the, so the, that- the, the the models coming out are coming out in association with the books. So, um, the third book um, is coming out for the Horus Heresy series. The first trilogy is finished. Oh, that's right. Which is- so you're talking about Isfan 3 and Isfan 5. So this is Horus according to his rule set at Isfan 3, Isfan 5 period of time. So Horus hasn't fallen yet. But this was a suit of black armor that he was given um, before Isfan 5 that we saw him in. Is that like Terminator armor? Because it comes up over the back of his head and stuff like that. Yeah, it'll be, it'll, you know, it's a, it's a highly individualized piece of armor. Okay. But has has those elements of that Terminator you know, without having looking at it again properly, it's it's it can't be normal Terminator armor because he's too big, right? <laughs> so, so it's, it's in by essence, it's going to be an individualized um, variation. I guess of- I totally didn't get it. In fact, until you pointed out that it was like from the cover of the Primarchs, and I was like, wait, I just saw that the other day, and Horus was still in that big black armor, and that was obviously before he'd been corrupted. Yeah, so I mean that uh, armor was. There's not... a little bit of a little bit of artistic license there, okay. because it talked in the third book, I think, Galaxy and Flames, about his new black armor okay. as a gift as a gift from Mars. I think. I'm trying to remember off the top, okay. my memory's useless for things like that. But, um, <laughs> so yeah, I mean, there's a bit of artistic license in there, but that's that's the image we know of Horace. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised. However many books down the line that Forge World don't really uh, release a Horace model where he's slightly less um, honourable, tr- still trying to do the right thing, Horace. And I gotta, um, 
I gotta say, he turns into a nasty man. The Horus in the black armor doesn't look like a very trustworthy, happy Horus either. I mean, that's a scare. I looked at that. I'm like, oh, that's. Oh yeah, yeah. No, he's yeah, absolutely. He's 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 angry at the emperor, but you know, I'm just just, yeah. I mean, every time he's he's on a righteous crusade at the moment. (laughs) I see him in that black armor with that giant lion pelt on the back, or whatever the hell the wolf pelt on the back, and I just, I just, I guess maybe because the first time I saw him in a picture of him with that armor was that picture that I got on my desk at work, on my desktop, uh, mm. which is that, that picture of him standing on the left and the emperor standing on the right. You know the yeah. picture. The, it, it, and I just, when I think of Horus in that armor with all the you know bolts attached to his head and stuff like that and the tubing, I'm like, oh, that's the totally corrupted Horus. So when they put it out, still in that armor, I just kind of, you know, I, I know this maybe sounds stupid and maybe it's the, you know, the movie student in me. I just sort of pictured that Horus as the, okay, now I've gone corrupt. Now I need black armor and black this and this, that, and the other, and the red glow. Like, that doesn't not, scream good it's guy not to the me. Ni- it's not the 1970s anymore. It's not, just the, it's not just the guys in black that are bad guys. But you know what I'm saying. Absolutely. I yeah, mean, we do. You, you naturally associate guy dressed all in black. Oh, hello. He's, he's a bad guy. And but, well, yeah. with the red glow of the lights all around his face and stuff, I yeah. mean, he really does look the bad guy. Um. So when I saw that, I just figured that was the corrupted Horus. I I was, in fact, when they said they would probably put out two versions, I was expecting him more in a in a Luna Wolves sort of livery. I guess I I don't know what I was expecting. I'm an idiot, but <laughs> oh no, it's just, it's one of those things that they're doing it in relation to the book. Yeah, you know, that where it's released. So we saw Fulgrim looking um, normal um, before. You know, there's no, there's no kind of seneshified. Right. Effects on Fulgrim. He he's just Fulgrim. Um, so yeah, you know, there's scope down the line as these people yeah. um, change their outlook as well as maybe their physical uh, attributes. Um, there's there's room that day on to bring uh, bring out different models. And you know, speaking of that picture from the Primarchs, like I said, I just got a really good look at that picture. And man, Fulgrim on that, he's still got that weird little smirk. He's still got that beautiful white hair. He looks oh, yeah. a lot like the model though i mean you can oh, see yeah. that i mean these these models they're putting out of the primarchs are just i mean they're amazing those faces because sometimes yes. you see some gw models and you look at the faces and i mean i don't want to pick on any one thing well some people don't like fulgrim's face in that model oh i do but yeah faces are really hard to get yeah right i, I mean, mean these they're not quite because they can't be quite you know even primates they're slightly inhuman as well right they're facially so Getting that to look right on the model is is difficult. But just look at—I mean, if you want an example, look at the new Hobbit models, all the elf models. Oh, the dwarfs in the barrels. The dwarfs in the barrels don't really even bother me all that much. I'm talking. No, no, they look brilliant. Oh they yeah, they look like the characters. Yeah, but then you and look at the elves, the ones that are supposed to be Legolas and that Evangeline oh, right. Lily oh, character. Yeah. yeah, I mean that that female elf, and I, I forget her name from the movie because she's not actually a character. So I whatever, but. You know, the one who falls in love with the dwarf. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We know the one. We the know the, the model one. looks like her if you hit her in the face with a frying pan. Just like flattened her face, <laughs> like smash, and it was flattened like a Tom and Jerry cartoon. Maybe. Then the model would look just like her. Maybe. I mean, it's, oh, they're terrible. I mean, they make, I, they make a lot of models, and they're bound to get the old one slightly not quite right. I don't think... Cause a lot the, of those the, elf faces, though, in that, the Hobbit line look a little odd. Like, original, and faces are really hit or miss. The original Lord of the Rings was very good. Yes, but I know. I know that the main characters had some form of final say 
in whether the model could be released. Okay. They had, I think they had to have the agreement of the, the character. I, I believe this is, well, you know, it could, it's a story I heard. Right. Okay. But, um, they, you yeah, know, they had to kind of get past, as it were. Okay. Um, but you, I mean, you look at the original Lord of the Rings models and they just look just like, you know, yeah, Elijah Wood and all that stuff. Oh, sure. Yeah, I mean the the, the Aragorn models—they look just like Viggo Mortensen. I mean, it's fantastic. Yeah. I'm just saying, faces can be hit or miss, and you look at these, oh, and but you look at the drawings, and then you look at the model, and it's like, wow, that looks. Ju- I mean, yeah. damn. And and um, when I was at the Horace Heresy Weekender last year, um, they had Fulgrim up there, and the alternative Fulgrim as well. Um, they had blown up pictures of um, the back of Fulgrim. Um, where he's fighting Manus, Ferris, and and various other Fulgrim pictures, and they had them in a, you know an A3 sketchbook to work off. Oh, nice! You know they're using a, a Neil Roberts is like, oh, it's amazing! Look at them; they're all, they're using all my work. That's amazing. <laughs> um, so yeah, but it's all there. All right. So cool. uh, one last thing, at least from me, before we get to the book today. Um, I got my copy of Visions of Heresy. Oh, yes. <laughs> I didn't realize there was that much text in it. I'm going to have to actually sit down and read all this stuff. But yeah, uh, I just flipped through it just one night, just sit there, just flipping page after page after page after page. And, I mean, you know, oh, man, is there some amazing stuff in there. I mean, there, there's your usual, what, 15 to 20% of John Blanche stuff. Meh. But once you get past yeah. that... Yeah, there's some there's some classic John Blanche, um, and there's some of the older uh, imagery from the first Visions book, more than I thought there would be from some discussions, but that might have been me misunderstanding. And then a lot of the Neil Roberts and a few new bits are just gorgeous. Yeah, I mean, I don't. I mean, I some. It's just I. You know, I. I don't know if I've ever mentioned. I'm not a huge fan of John Blanche's work. It just looks unfinished to me. No one, no one's ever a huge fan of John Blanche's work. I know. No, there's some people I know who, who love his work. They, you know, uh, just like that's not me. Are they psychotic five year olds. I get because <laughs> I think that's that's how he draws. Is like a psychotic five year old. Actually, if you look back, and I don't know if you're a comic book fan, but anybody who read the Dark Knight series back in the '80s with the Batman right. comics. Uh, from Frank Miller. That's it's actually very similar in that style. Is it uh, not as psychotic, but that sort of scribbly, unfinished sort of look? Um, but like his pictures of the Emperor and stuff were like I was like, wow, that's weird. Like some of his pictures <laughs> of the, uh, I mean, they, he had about a he had about a dozen or so different Null Maiden pictures in there and stuff like that. And yeah. It's like I his, can see where they based everything off of his work. Yeah, I mean, his work is brilliant for defining the atmosphere. And the feel and the culture of a of of forty k, and he has you know visually it it's almost all down to john blanche as yes. a as a keystone that they built on um and for that and and for the vision and genius and the the depraved warped mind that created this stuff he's he's brilliant he's absolutely amazing, and I look at a lot of his drawings and just think no. exactly can we have a new version of Magnus please because that Magnus was the only one for years and it's like oh, it's awful can't stand it and that's the thing exactly his his work is is great it's such a great inspiration but it's something yeah. that it's inspiration it's like a first draft here this these are great ideas now somebody yes. please make something of them because God bless America I'm telling you right now 
I wouldn't want to hang up any of those pictures on my wall <laughs> down here in my in my basement. And but the, some of those other pictures, like I almost ordered some of those twelve dollar posters from Black Library. I've got a friend who started collecting the limited edition covers because oh. they're just phenomenal. They're just some of them are so amazing. They're just so expensive. But in fact, the, the the one or two that I really wanted obviously sold out quickly, so I couldn't get the yeah the book covers I wanted. Um, but I almost did drop. 12 15 bucks on a on a 12 by or what 18 by 24 poster mm. you know and then to have it shipped you know i mean that's that's not cheap for a poster i guess you know but they're just amazing and i would never drop money on a john blanche poster i'm sorry i just i just <laughs> i just wouldn't i wouldn't want to hang no. it up absolutely so, but that vision's a heresy book the thing the thing that amazes me about john blanche is anyone who reads white dwarf will see that he paints in almost exactly the same way he draws and that just blows my mind. <laughs> yeah. Because I'm like, how do you make your models look like your drawings? It's just, that's phenomenal. But yeah. yeah. But yeah, but, Visions of Heresies, uh, for those that didn't order the book or, you know, were thinking about ordering the, the leather-bound book, I say it's not cheap, but it's worth every single penny that you pay for it. It's a tome. I mean, it's it's just about as big as the big red book. Mm. You know, the it's not, it's not, I don't think it's as big as the main Warhammer rule book, but it's, it's big. It's four or five hundred. It's got over. I think it's over four hundred pages, and it's it's beautiful. I was really impressed. This is something that you could look through again and again and again. like Harrison saw it and he started. He's like thought it was cool. Uh, even Morgan, my daughter, was like, "Wow, Daddy, some of it because she's she's my artist and she's just like this is really some <laughs> neat stuff." And she says, "She goes, I don't like this stuff." But the art's really good. Like she doesn't yeah. like the Space Marines. She doesn't. You know, she couldn't care less. She's into fantasy. She likes the Empire. She likes the human army. Sure. And she looks at all that other stuff, like they said, the John Blanche Demon stuff. She's like, yeah, I, I, she's like, I don't like this. But <laughs> she goes, but then, you know, those pictures of, like, even on the cover with Horace actually fighting the Emperor. And I still can't tell exactly what's going on in that picture. It doesn't quite seem to make 100 i think sense. it's the emperor's kind of shifting his hips out the way right uh, yeah i'm not i'm not a fan necessarily of the way it's been um the comp- kind of positioned the composition's a little off yeah for me personally i think it's kind of it's going behind his back he's just arcing his back to get out of the way right but it creates a slightly off you know it probably is a scene that you would see in a fight like that but it's just one of those scenes in my mind doesn't quite fit exactly Okay, we totally have to get to the book, but I got one last question for you. Maybe you'll know, and this is just a question. Every picture of the emperor, his left knee, he's got that weird knee cover, which is like that screaming face. Is that something that that, (laughs) – it's he doesn't have one on his right knee, it doesn't seem like. like But the left knee cover is like that giant – and even on the John Blanche work, on the John Blanche work, it's more – it's like it looks like a, you know, like a tortured screaming face. Is, am I the only one who's wondering what the hell's up with that? Like, that just doesn't seem to fit with the rest of his armor. And I don't know if that's a throwback to the John Blanche drawing. good question. Okay, is that so? Okay, no spoilers. I don't, for no, oh. no, no, no. Oh, okay. I don't think I know. Um, I'm just having a little kind of... Well, if anybody does know, let us look, know. Cause, yeah, because it's not something I really thought. Because look at it. It's like a really weird-looking face, and it, it draws my attention every time I see any picture of him. Yeah, now it will now. Oh, <laughs> you pointed it out quite that much. Um, 
Yeah, I, no, yeah no. great. I just pointed out one of those. Now, now everyone's going to see it, and nobody's going to be able to not see it. Sorry about well, that. It's going. It might be something that uh, we um, can ask someone somewhere. Oh no, yeah, well we're going to have to. So it's kind of defeats me. It might be something I've Excellent. remembered, but I don't think I've heard anything about it. It may just be nothing. It may just be that that's what John Lance drew, and everybody stuck and, with that. Yeah, it might be as simple as that, but but it looks a little knows? weird to me. But okay. All right, on to book three, <laughs> Imperium. So uh, when we last left off, they just um, they just sieged the uh, the Lupus um, right. the castle and were fighting the beasts as the Lupus run away. That's right, and it was many years before he would think about those words that that uh, Sar- Sartana told him about how the lion just destroyed Caliban. Yeah. Um, which is weird. We can get into this talk on the after discussion, but this is, I, you know, I, I started chicken and egg thinking this whole thing. If if Caliban eventually is, you know, busted in half, does it have anything to do with them trying to purge that evil that's in it and smashing it? I mean, I don't know exactly how it happens. Now, if I am dead wrong, please just tell me so I'll stop talking. Um, but, no, um, I mean, going off um, old fluff. Um, before I so say I haven't read the new Dark Angels book or anything like that, um, we don't know what happened to okay. the Rock. So it is again. I say I said at the start of the last book, the Dark Angels had more mysteries than almost anyone else, and um, and that's what this book was for me the first time round. Was like, oh, that's new. Oh, that's a, you know, that's uh-huh. a, a lead into what could have happened and things like that. So as far as I'm concerned, we still don't know what caused what and, and where it started and everything else. So. Okay. All right. So then chapter, uh, book three starts, and now with the Knights of the Lupus defeated, the North Wilds are open to the Order. So soon all the beasts are going to be gone. That much we've got. They beat them. Now the lion comes into the library, and Zahariel and uh, Nemiel are still there. Um, he sends them back with the rest of the order. And then he has the entire library boxed up and sent back to Alderuk. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Which this is this right here is just fantastic because, you know, I mean, from what Luther said, how quickly he devoured all the information that they had. I mean, it took him, what, a month or two to read everything in their library and then surpass all of their greatest philosophers and thinkers. And now he got a library ten times the size with all sorts of new information. And so but he also the, the the funny thing point to me on that one was he sent everyone away, and then looked through the books. Yep. So talk about you know kind of options for filtering and and whatever. Right. Well, I mean, with so much there, I mean, unless he knew exactly what he was looking for, my guess is he you know go and that he checked you know does this need to be burned or does this need to be kept? And if it needed to be burned, he probably would have kept it anyway because if it needs to be burned, he needs to know why. Yeah, but only he knew, needs to know why. It's funny. The no lion, one else needs to. The lion is starting to really fascinate me and partly because they don't tell... He's he's in the book the whole time and we, they never tell us he, anything. No. I mean, he keep, he plays it so close to the chest, you know something's going on in that big brain of his. Yeah, and I mean that's his character. That's that's the yeah. way he is as well. But it, it comes across quite well. I'm really starting to wonder, like you know how all of them are a different part of the emperor. Yeah, what part is he? I mean, I was actually someone told me he's the emperor's paranoia. I've heard that him called that. 
uh, the emperor's sort of, you know, I, you know, the, the Alpha Legion are the one with all the secrets, really. But yeah. uh, he seems to be, at least from what I've read, in the two books I've read that he's been in, and then the one short story that I've read, God, he seems to be the emperor's, the emperor. Like, he's like his lies and his secret keeping. Like, but not just secrets, like Alpha Legion, but like just that playing it close to the chest, like not telling anybody. I mean, he grew up on this planet with no background, leading these people, doing the same things the Emperor did, not explaining himself as the Emperor doesn't. I mean, it almost seems like once he meets the Emperor and finds out what's going on, you know, he's always been sort of like trying to get... It's it's like, you know, if I have all the knowledge, you know, if you become all-knowing, that's a step away from all-powerful. And it almost is like he's trying to be all-knowing. Like, he needs to know everything. Like, you know, because you meet Rogel Dorn, and he always wants to get every bit of information he can before he makes decisions, but it's nothing compared to the way the lion just absorbs information constantly and seems to constantly be thinking. And maybe this is a, maybe this is a topic for the after-the-book discussion, but I just, you know, like you said, when he does this, it's like, wow. And you know he, you know he read every letter <laughs> in each of those oh, yes. books, you know. Um, I don't know how much he knows at the end of reading all those books, but it seems like he knows a lot more, you know. So I, I don't know. Well, uh, and then after what he sees later on, Sarash, that probably cements his ideas for him. But you never know because he never says anything. So. He keeps everything close to his chest, as our dear, exactly. our dear lion. And I have this written here. Speaking of uh, of controlling information and shaping your point of view. The Knights of Lupus become remembered as vile creatures doing vile experiments that corrupted the soul. Oh, uh, yes. And history was written by the winner. Yep. Shaping the point of view. Zahariel remembers the lion goading Zartana to war. You know, he the order was on the urge of ultimate glory right now after this battle. But Zahariel starts asking if it had lost its integrity by doing it. Like, he he's starting to look at this going, you know... Sartana didn't necessarily want a war. He wanted to be left to do what he was doing. And the lion, I mean, he did. I mean, let's see, the lion insulted him, basically told him off. And when he looked at the lion and said, listen, if this is the way you're going to be, there's no choice but war. The lion looked at him and said, yep. Yep. (laughs) So, but I just love how they talk about, in fact, um, remember in the the first part of the book when they started talking about... um, how Zahariel kept telling his story and how Neil yes. and how nobody wanted to hear that he was scared. Everybody wants. And so he starts telling the version of the story that people want to hear, even though it's not the truth. And this I, I love this theme running through here of the people, you know, not only people twisting the truth, but people wanting their truth twisted. Like this concept that people don't you, know, you can't handle the truth, you know. Yes. Uh, I just, I, I love it. <laughs> it's just, you know, it really comes across really well. And it, it's the second reading when I'm looking for it that it's like, damn, everybody in this book seems to be a big liar. <laughs> yeah. I mean, oh, even you, Zahariel, who prides himself on. His, yeah, his honesty is, is everything else. Yeah. Yeah. We, I don't know. It's, um, I say, we, we talked in the first part about maybe, maybe too much of all this going on. But it, it's, it is through the whole book, seems to be through the whole book anyway, the way we're looking at it. Um, 
I mean, again, you get um, Zariel's looking at uh, Luther and seems to think that Luther also has that glint in his eye and that wry grin on his face that he knows it's not all like that. And having read the first part of the book, uh, is that Zariel projecting his own images onto Luther or is or are we reading that Zariel is actually seeing what he's seeing? Exactly. That I have that written here too, that, that, uh, that shadow that falls on his heart and he saw it in Luther too. Uh, do you want to see it in Luther? You know what I'm saying? It's you know, and once again, we kept, I kept thinking the first time I read this that Zahariel would be the lion and Nemiel would be the Luther of, of the two. Mm. And it slowly seems to be shifting as he's more and more identifying with Luther than, than, uh, yeah. than with the lion. Um, so Zahariel and Nemiel are rewarded because of their actions. And at this, I remember Nemiel's like, I'm going to get a banner for this. He's like, oh, really? <laughs> Uh, and and Nemiel is overjoyed. He is over the moon. I mean, he's this is everything he's always wanted. He went to a battle. He came out victorious. He's being honored. All all the dreams of of a knight are are coming true for him. And Zahariel's just pleased. You know what I'm saying? Um, he's not overjoyed. He's pleased. He's curious as to why his powers didn't come back when he was fighting the other monsters. Yes. Like, you know, yeah, I won and stuff, but how come I didn't win it that way? So, and his recollection of his powers, they say it goes dim, a gray fog over his memories. Yeah. Which, you know, anytime that things don't go exactly, like, sort of, like, hit the way he likes it, there's sort of, those are the things that become hard to remember. Um, mm. You know, I guess, you know, maybe I'm, maybe I'm reading into that, but so, uh, Eliath and Eddius become knights. Yeah, uh, kill their own beasts. Yep, they kill their own beasts because there's still beasts left, so they become proper knights. Uh, I know Adius was, or Atias, whatever his name is, was Atticus. That's why I call him Atticus. Atticus, uh, you know, was so worried that he wouldn't become a knight, and yet he does. Um, Zahariel remem- realized that he has trouble remembering the Watchers in the dark. Like, he can't really, like, he remembers something about them, but it's, it, it, he can't really... It seems to be slipping from memory, and something that seems to be weird to him because that, that whole episode, yeah, the malaise and, and yeah. the words spoken to him, and and I don't know who these watchers in the dark are. Hell, I thought they were the Eldar guys that show up in or that weird stuff that shows up in Legion at the end of Legion. Um, so, <clears throat> I, but I'm not spoiling anything, saying that people show up at the end of Legion. There's people in every book, um, but these watchers in the dark, I did. I don't know what they... I mean, is this something we find out later? Because they, so. they seem like good guys. I hope or at least so. they didn't like the taint of chaos, so... There's some form of alien creature. Okay. Well, okay. All right. I'll leave it at that. Uh, let's see what else. To, I haven't got any answers for you. Okay. Oh, okay. Good. <laughs> you, you, you coughed and said they might be, and I'm like, okay. Is no, this they, another they, yeah, it's... No. Uh, pretty... Um, again, one of those secrets. Oh, Okay. And then the lion locks himself in the tower with all his books. So, yeah, there he goes. He'll be out in a few weeks. Let him read that. It'll take him just a few weeks because he's crazy. So they go on the last hunt. They're hunting the last beast. Uh, Nemiel and Hariel are there. Um, the lion's giving a speech about their trying. Now, he stops, like, while they're mid-hunt, we're getting close to him, and he turns around and starts giving a speech about how they're going to triumph over everything. Uh, and then he stops, and there's this giant golden eagle just sitting in the trees watching them. 
and that's supposed to be you know that to them is you know uh, a golden eagle is a, is an omen and then all of a sudden these ships show up these flying ships show up over their head and luther actually says and the angels of darkness descended on pinions of fire and light the great and terrible dark angels and that's the stuff from their fables and stories and then all of a sudden out of these giant ships uh what do i have here marked to read uh the fearsome downdrafts of air from the great flying beast dissipated the smoke of the giant's arrival, and with its cargo apparently delivered, it moved off. The clearing was suddenly silent, but for the crash of water in the pool behind them. Though there was a fearsome martial power to each of these giants, Zahariel also saw a real sense of awe, a feeling that they had found something precious, with a value that they had not previously dared believe. The giant reached up to his helmet, and Zahariel saw that he was armed with a sword and pistol, similar in appearance to his own though in an order of magnitude larger than those employed by the order. A twist of a catch brought a hiss of escaping air, and the giant lifted clear his helmet to reveal a startling face of human proportions, though his features were more widely spaced and gigantic than most men's. The face was handsome, and an uncertain smile began to develop as the giant looked upon Lionel Johnson. Curiously, Zahariel felt no fear, his apprehensions fleeing his body at the sight of the giant's face. "'Who are you?' asked the lion." I am Midris, said the giant, his voice impossibly deep and resonant. He turned to his fellow giants and said, We are warriors of the First Legion. The First Legion? asked Luther. Whose First Legion? Midris turned to Luther and said, The First Legion of the Emperor, Master and Mankind, Master of Mankind and Ruler of Terra. Yes! I just I, I get so excited when anybody mentions the Emperor. I'm such a sap. Yep. But yet yeah, they're here. <laughs> Absolutely. And it's really weird. And it's interesting that right as they're on the verge of clearing the planet. Yeah, uh, timing was... It ends. Yeah. I mean, not so much that they just show up right when they're on the hunt, but they never quite do finish the job, do they? Like, I'm certain that things get killed. I mean, they come in, you know what the the Imperium does. They're going to come in and strip mine half the planet and turn it into a worker planet and stuff. So there will be no room for these beasts. They will die. But it's interesting how Luther's big plan to clear off anything that's not like his people and make that place his people dominate and live in peace and happiness right before the conclusion gets stopped. Oh, the symbology. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's everywhere from the Calibanite eagle through, I even wrote, it's more symbology than you shake a stick at. Yeah. It's just, it's it's almost it's just too thick every, with it. Again, yeah, it's almost too thick. I mean, even going back to the uh, the, the speech, um, what is it? We have fought and bled for 10 years, blah, blah, blah. We stand on this threshold. Um, everything we have fought for is within our grasp. We have made no mistakes, and it is ours. <laughs> I didn't think about that. Make no mistake. Yeah. So oh. it's just it's just layered and layered and layered, and it's yeah. Again, it was almost like oh, there's another bit. <laughs> there's another bit. Yeah, I mean, and I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, I hope we're not. I hope we're not beating a dead horse here, mentioning it too much. But it's just it's there. I but mean, it's you, through the book all the whole time. There's the problem with doing a, po- uh, a podcast like this is. You know, we can't just say, oh, there's more of it. You know, you, right. <laughs> it, it's there. It's, it's there. We're talking about that paragraph. It's in that paragraph. It's, it's everywhere. All right. So let's jump ahead here. It, this is, it's jumped ahead a little while. And they've got, you know, they're, yes. they're basically crawlers are clearing out the Caliban forests. And it's funny. Sartana says something horrible would befall Caliban. And then the Imperium arrived and started strip mining the planet, basically. 
Uh, but Nemiel is fascinated. It's the machines. They're so cool. You know, he's just like, wow. They cut down the yeah, trees. I mean, these up. things are probably massive. Oh, they've got to be. Uh, you know, and I mean massive, massive. I mean, we have the old TV shows that show like America's biggest machines. And, and for us over here, it's like, whoa, they've got a crane this big. But then you're looking again at a, a magnitude of scale <laughs> well beyond that. This thing is rolling down, knocking over trees, easily knocking over trees, pulling up the stumps, grinding up the trees into chips or whatever it needs, and then uh, and then leveling the land behind it. And this thing's got to be the size of a house, at least. I mean, it you know, it, you know, you don't fell tree. I mean, granted, you could take a bulldozer and knock over a tree, but a bulldozer that knocks over a tree, if the roots get not, underneath, it'll tip it well, sideways. You're talking about a land that's got creatures as big as this has got creatures, you're probably talking about pretty substantial trees. Exactly. They're not knocking over a bunch of birch trees here. No. These, are, these are massive redwoods. and Oh, you know, they're, it's just, it is, it's, it's really, it's, it's kind of cool to see, and to see guys who've never seen anything like that, yes. you know. So Nemiel's fascinated by the machines and everything that's coming in. Zariel, not so much. He's, the only person he's really curious about is the emperor. And yeah. Nemiel actually makes jokes that the emperor cannot possibly be the way they describe it. Uh, which I think is great because let's face it, how could you describe that's, the emperor? That's probably how you would react as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, their king's amazing. Well, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, My dad's bigger than yours. I gotcha. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the Astartes show up and you're like, wow, they are impressive. They're not as big as the lion. Exactly. They're not. They're not even as big as the lion. So it's like, uh, yeah. no one's going to be more impressive than him. Yeah. But I mean, let's face it. Even when the when the emperor is described in the books, it doesn't ever quite do him justice. It just leaves me wanting more. That's yes, they do a good job of that, by the way, because the emperor is the one character that fascinates me. I think more than any other character in the series, and of course he does. But they just and they can't give you his insight because you know, I don't know. I just it's I can get where he wouldn't believe it because when people try to describe it. Even in the books, like, really? I just, you know, you can't grasp it. It's kind of cool. Um, their armor was like a crude copy of Astartes' armor and their weapons, too. Oh, and then they saw the apothecary helped a kid grow a new leg. I got a question. What the heck? Is, what? I actually have question marks and exclamation points pointing to this thing that I wrote down. They could just grow new legs? Yeah, don't know about that. <sighs> Okay, because, uh, but, I mean, then but, why don't the Astartes where, do this? Where in, where in the um, where in the passage is that? Okay, uh, let's see. There was it was before Strange Days, an interesting time. Let's see. I'll find it. Hold on, is the eye disappearing? The machines at work. You asked me how it could take so long. Uh, blah 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 blah. Accident in training. Spoiler: Life played. Cut into his knee with his sword as he fell. Yeah, talking about the emperor. I imagine it'll be ten meters tall. Don't make fun of him because the Terran giants get mad. Yeah, to cause a new leg to regrow from the stump. I just wondered if they'd edited that between versions, but they hadn't. Okay. Um, yep, yeah, no, it's there. Um, obviously, some kind of weird technology they were doing that managed to regrow a leg. That would be quite useful, wouldn't it? Yeah. I mean, they vac- I suppose they vac grow um, all the organs and things like that. Uh, you know, they've had right. uh, various testing and stuff. Maybe it's something they could do, but it's not. They thought, you know, seeing as this planet's brand new, we want to get on their good side. Maybe. 
I'm just uh, only reason I'm even asking is because you know, like you said, especially with the, if you lose a limb, it usually gets replaced with mechanics. Exactly, with the it seems a bit strange that they do it for that and not just stick an augmented limb on. Maybe it's because they're young enough that they're growing. It could be they're young enough, or it could be, hey, you know, we're bringing all this stuff in, turning their kids into half robots might freak them out, maybe. Yeah, maybe it's yeah more, too intensive to do on a grand scale, but yeah. one kid. Uh, that's, that's my only thing I can rationalize it as, because it does seem a bit of a waste compared to saving a space marine's leg, something like that. Exactly. So then um, I love how it says these were strange days, interesting times. And remember, that's, that's a curse in uh, curse. in yes. everybody else's uh, places. Uh-oh. So now the Astartes begin training the youngest knights and the young supplicants. Now, how old are they again at this point? What are they? Uh, I'm trying to remember now. Uh, 15? Okay. 14? Right. I think so, it was about 14, wasn't it? Was yeah. it about five, five or six years after they joined? No, so it'd be about 13, uh, 14. I'm pretty sure it was about 14. Yeah, so early teens. Yes. But they're getting tested to be Astartes, possibly. Now, this is great. Yeah, after the Nemeal and, and Zahariel go through their training, and they're, they're beyond exhausted. And he's like, oh, I think I could still go for a run. And he's like, oh, let's do 10 laps. You know, and it's like, there they are pushing each other again. But this is the first time that something interesting happens. There's Ariel often wins, according to these, you know what we're what we've been reading. He often wins these yes. contests, but they're dying. They're going through these laps, and they're both dying. And suddenly, he he focuses on his teachings. Now he starts focusing his mind on the teachings. You know, pain and despair are illusions. He shuts them out. I'm not feeling the pain. I'm not. And all of a sudden, he feels this energy building in him. And he laps Nemeal. Right at the end, yeah. So he actually crosses the finish line before Nemeal crosses that line for the at, at his ninth time. Penultimate, yeah. Um, and he kind of goes and kind of falls down, and Nemeal goes through and finishes anyway. Nemeal kind of looks pissed at him, too. And this was kind of a jerk move, I think. He didn't need... I mean, he to was right... To embarrass him. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He didn't need to lap him. I mean, because the thing is, he just passed him up. He finished before Nemiel finished. He, you know, getting behind him like that, and then that push, because it does describe him pushing to pass him up. I want to finish before, you know, a full lap. You know, let him pass the marker. Then you go behind. You still are a lap ahead of him. I mean, you know, what is it? 0.95 laps ahead of him. This was... I don't know. It came across me kind of... uh, This is Well, he he rubs it in at the end. You took your time. Yeah, you took your With time. An unaccustomed edge of spite in his voice. So yeah, there was a, there was more to it than there had been before. But I think that even came because when he passed Nemiel and he collapsed, and Nemiel kept running, like you don't have to keep running. Yeah. Like the race is over. I won the race, and Nemiel's like, "This is you know," and now he's saying, "Oh, well, he he did it anyway." Just to, oh, you know, no, I'm still. Why is that a bad thing? Why would you get annoyed that he finished? Maybe for Nemiel, it's not about winning. It's, it's about. about- Completing the, the task yeah. set. Yeah. We said 10, and I'm not going to not, you know, because remember, they always spurred each other to higher, to, to greater heights, but they always both succeeded. Whoever yes. succeeded first, whoever wanted to come, they always both succeeded. This is the first time, too, he tells me, hey, you know, you can quit. I, I win. You know, I can see why Nemiel got annoyed with him and gave him dirty looks and ran around. And then Zahariel gets all pissed because Nemiel won't stop and has given him a look. It's like, well, okay, you're the one who's out of line here. Um, 
But when that happens, this brother librarianist, Raphael, calls him out and takes him to talk. Uh, he wants to talk to him. He wants to know if he can do other strange things. And Zariel's like, no. And he stops. He goes, listen, I know you're lying. Okay. I can tell when you're lying. I'm going to ask you this question again. If you tell me anything other than the complete truth, you're out of the program. So, you okay? Yeah, I just dropped something on the floor. So. Okay. Um. This uh, this is this is kind of huge, you know. Here's here's one of these Astartes oh, yeah. coming yeah. up, and so you know Zahariel is like, ooh, because once again, Zahariel's sort of a weird character because he has this sense of honor and duty, and he has to do everything perfectly right. But every once in a while, he just—I mean—he just lies. And I mean, dude, everybody lies, but he seems to like—he seems to pick weird places to lie, and like always the wrong times. He always lies to people who are going to know he's lying. You know what I mean? Yes. It's like when he tries to, like, back when he told, oh, wait, you're going to be made Grandmaster Lion? But he, um, I mean, he said his vow to keep the strangeness of his defeat was, you know, he wanted to keep, so he made that vow to himself. Oh, that's true. He's got, he has got a little bit of conflict there. In, okay. Does he, does he give in on his vow that he made, or does he, and he, and he starts to think, oh, you know, something's going on here, I need to tell this guy, otherwise I'm not going to be part of it. Right. And that, that would hurt his pride. Oh, yeah. no, he, That would finish him. Well, like I said, yeah. He says, oh, listen, you lie to me, you're out. Well, Zahariel's like, ugh, I don't want to tell him, but I'm not going to be out. There really wasn't a choice here. No. He, you know, I gotta, he had to give up one vow to keep another, which was to become the greatest warrior on Caliban or whatever. He had said earlier, if you recall that one. So then Zahariel tells him about when he fought the lion. And, uh, the, and, uh, a brother, as Raphael calls it, terror sight. Does this show up anywhere in the game or anything not like that? Not that I'm aware of, no. Okay. It's really kind of cool because, you know, at the moment where you're about to get killed, all of a sudden you see everything perfectly and apparently become ethereal because you yes. can just move right through things, which is just kind of neat. Uh, and Zahara, wait, is it evil? No, it's a weapon. Weapons are neutral. It depends on how you wield them. Which is just, which is just this, a great response. Yes. Uh, and he's worried that it's going to keep him out, but actually, Brother Raphael says, no, actually, that makes you more likely to be a candidate um, because you have this ability and, you know, this is something we can use. Uh, Zahariel, no, wait, is this now, they got the librarian in there and stuff like that. Is this before, uh, what is that? Where, where did where did they tell Magnus off? Um, oh yes, no, yeah, definitely. Um, the lion was the first Primarch found. Um, the Council of Nakia occurred not that long before Eleanor. Okay, wait, the lion was the first one found. I thought Horus was the first one found. Oh no, he wasn't. He was later. That's right. No, because they're the first legion. I confused myself. Okay. but this is um, still pre-Council of Nakia. Oh, correct? Yeah. this is pre-Council of Nakia. Yeah. Okay, so you can just go back to all right. The Council of Nikea was just before um, Ulanor, uh, a few years, if that, before Ulanor. Oh, so it was before Ulanor. Oh, okay. I kind of, for some reason, I thought I had a, oh, that's right, because after Ulanor, the emperor went home, so. Yeah. Okay, okay. Getting my timeline straight in my head, sorry. That's um, right, I'm confusing myself with my own words, it's fine. <laughs> so, Zahariel learns that they're testing the entire population to see if it's suitable genetically to become, to get yeah, the gene genetic seed. stock, yeah. And it is, so... He learns what a Primarch is, what that lion, the lion's one of them. There is 19 more of them. Uh, Israfil tells him about the Emperor, the Thunder Warriors, the Primarchs, their loss, uh, everything. He gets this whole story, 
how he was reunited with Horus, who took the Legion and Luna Wolves and fought with the Emperor. Then um, they come to check out Caliban, and they were they were out there conquering the galaxy, and they came to see what was up with Caliban. And as soon as they sent any information to the Emperor, he knew. He was up, and he just diverted, I mean, everybody to yeah. there. Everybody, go to Caliban. I'll be there shortly. And say, like, oh, okay. <laughs> so then uh, so then we get to Chapter 15. Yeah, I mean, there was... Um, uh, uh, no, yours is wrong, Dave. It's Chapter 16. Oh, wait. Mine's wrong. That was that was chapter fifty. You got two chapter sixes, haven't you? Oh, I had two chapter sixes. That's right. Okay, so now, yeah. All right. So that was chapter fifteen. Um, I I honestly cannot see that these these two guys who are supposed to be pretty intelligent, Zemio and Nemio, they're they're doing these testings for these great super warriors, and yet they decide it's a good idea, and they're being tested like periodically, um, like quite often. They think it's a good idea to run 10 extra laps? Well, I think they were trying to show something because those guys were out there still watching them. The other Astartes were watching them. It's one of the reasons that Zahariel pushed so hard. Yeah, it might be. But I, I'm sitting there thinking, yeah, okay, they're doing that. But they're supposed to be fairly intelligent, and they know they're just going to be picked up and tested somewhere else. And it's like, and they're going to put themselves, because they're already, you know, being pushed their limits are being pushed, and all right. of a sudden they're going to go and run an extra ten laps. I was like, but, you know, they are kids, I suppose. Yeah, um, I mean, I mean, I see your point, but I also see them as young and still that rivalry, and still that hey, can we push it? And really, I mean, when he said let's run some laps, I don't think he thought of ten until the other ones. Like, yeah, I could do ten, yeah, maybe, maybe. You know, then the then the brag happened, and once you brag, you got to back that was it, it up. Yeah, I suppose so. Yes, fair play. So I I thought the. Um, the explanation was a bit dry, the last kind of half the chapter. Yeah. There was yet more, yet more sit down, we'll tell you a story, and that's happened quite a lot during this book. So there's a lot just being, you know, told rather than shown. Yeah, and, and that's actually, I, I just, I had that lesson on uh, Tuesday with my creative writing students, show, don't tell. Yeah, so, I think I think this book suffers a little bit in that respect. Um whether it's the nature of the way the story was told or what, it's just... It's the one problem I really had with the book was that even the, even the point of view seemed to... It starts off with the story being told by someone and then going back, and it seems that Zahariel might be the guy telling the story because he's the main focus. Yeah. And you can't always tell if everything's right or true because it seems to go through his point of view, but then other things happen when he's not there and you're getting that third-person omniscient point of view. It does. It does. It does suffer a little bit from not having a really strong, stable point of view. Sure. Um, yeah. And so you do get these these storytelling sessions where they get yeah. filled in on what's been going on because they don't know anything. Um, I, it, it doesn't make it necessarily a worse book. It's just not as it, th- that technique. It became is not, noticeable. Yeah. For it, me, exactly. And that's, that always draws you out of a book when you notice something, but. Exactly. All right, so let's look at, uh, shall we move on to the next chapter 16, as it is, yep. because once again, I've got the double chapter 6. i got to remember that, because I still have all the numbers written down to correspond with my book, so sure. this is 16, and anybody who didn't... Dude, the thing is, I bought this book how long after it came out? Yeah, I mean, it might be one of the first print runs, and it might I, have just I been suppose it, about. I mean, I got it from 
Barnes and Noble or Borders or something. I mean, what is yeah, it? So it might have been in there since first run, but fourth or fifth, you know, copy or something, edition or something. I don't know, whatever. So here we go, <laughs> chapter sixteen. All right, so the Astartes take over the training of the knights, and they they will brook no divisions. Okay, um, there there are no other. There's not any other orders or anyone who says they're part of any sort of order. There is no other. You're all one order now. You're training to be Astartes. And with the Lion's help, the knightly orders are all disbanded in favor of unity under this first legion. And, of course, and who wouldn't? The Lion just, you know, cleared the planet of all the monsters, and now these other guys show up and say, hey, we're part of a bigger universe. Yeah. And the Lion says, do it, and let's face it, it happens. Yeah. And they all come in and say, it doesn't matter where you come from now. We're taking everyone. Yeah. yeah, there are no barriers. Everyone's everyone's welcome to try. And there's recruiters there for the Imperial Army too. You know, yep. the, the IG. So if you don't make it as a Stardis, you can still be a soldier. Yeah. Plus and all the all the other people coming down. I mean, this is this is this is culture shock beyond anything that you'd ever see anywhere. Oh yeah, how could it not be? Yeah, they all seem to take it quite well in their stride. Well, I suppose if you live with giant monsters as a daily thing. That, maybe, maybe, <laughs> maybe. You know, you find out that, I mean, it is weird. I mean, you find out that you are a part of this bigger thing, and this guy who's been with you, this guy who's become the leader on your planet, you know, the lion, is actually think, one of them. They've come think, for him. Yeah, so, I suppose that's, that, that's maybe the easiest bit to understand. That's the link. That's what, yeah. you know, because let's face it, if giant spaceships showed up all around Earth, man, I've watched enough movies to know what happened, we'd panic and attack them. Or we'd panic and send a message. And when they came down with uh, looking like warriors, we'd still all freak out. Yeah. But, and there'll uh, be a party on the roof somewhere welcoming them. <laughs> yeah, over by Wrigley Field, all the rooftop seats. Yeah. Oh, God. Okay, so then now thousands and thousands of commoners are going into it. And they have literally thousands of huge training camps for the guys who don't make it to Astartes yeah. to train for the Imperial Army. And I love the nobility. They're pissed because commoners are being recruited. What do you mean they can be military? They just have no concept. No, it's the one bit of like kind of fighting back against the culture that we see. Yeah. So, no, 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 no. These are the way we did it. Yeah. No, you can't, can't take that. them. That makes us less important. It's like, dude, you have no idea how tiny of a, of a cog you are. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing about this, that, that the whole 30K and 40K universe that just frightens me is just. You oh, know, you're talking about billions of people, billions and billions it's million million worlds or whatever it is you read this stuff yeah. about people who spend their entire lives like near the imperial city just trying to get in to get us get into the to see yeah. to see the, the, the whoever and they spend their whole lives and like you know their great great grandchildren finally make it they like set up a camp outside this place and these are people who they never even get to where they're going you know, like, yeah. it's like, I mean, ugh. in, in 30K and 40K, mo- like 90 odd percent of the people in the Imperium have never seen a space marine and never will. Yeah. You know, there's, there's just worlds upon worlds upon worlds. That's a weird thought, too. I mean, considering yeah. that when you read the books, it's all about the space marines. I mean, every time yeah. you, you can't go, you can't go to a tournament without, without it's They're all, all space yeah, marines. Everybody's space marines. Isn't everybody a space marine? So, yeah, it's just, it's crazy just how big it is. So, now, Zahariel and Nemiel are on guard duty, and Nemiel is just unnerved at how quickly everything's changing. He is having issues with it. Yeah, yeah, he's a, the shining light, kind of. Yeah, he's like, dude. <laughs> Something's not quite right. 
This is this is go- now Zaharial. Of course, it's our duty to give the imper- give to the Imperium to further the greater good. And Naomi was like, "Yeah, but it's a shame it has to be this way. Like, why can't we contribute with our own unique contributions? Why yeah. do they have to come in and level everything and and say that now?" Zaharial tells Brother Israfiel that the Emperor was like a god and. <laughs> As I put it, he got a dose of the imperial truth. Yes. Don't tell a space marine that the emperor is a god, or even like <laughs> a god, because <laughs> you'll get an earful. <laughs> it's brilliant. What was it? Um, uh, I said to him that he was. I thought he was going to have a seizure. Really? Yeah, he clamped his hands to his shoulders and told me never to say such a thing again, blah, blah, blah. They don't believe in things like that. No, said Zario emphatically. They don't, and they don't like others who do. That sounds a bit close-minded. <laughs> yes, yeah, I love it. Yeah, that's fantastic. It just adds, sums it all up right there and there. No, that's a bit close-minded. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Uh, I, <laughs> that's a bit close. When you see, and now now picture what we know of them. I mean, they, they, oh, they it says like here they're 15. Okay. But just picture this, this conversation going on. They don't like you saying the emperor is a They don't like people who think the emperor is a god. Yeah, that's close-minded. Now you look at the bigger picture, where they're going to planets saying, hey, the emperor's here. Um, are you going to do No, we don't like your way. Tough. God, yeah. wiped out. <laughs> you you know? didn't understand the question. Yeah, that's beyond, that's a, it's just close-minded is such a vast hyperbole of understatement. It's just, or, you know, a vast understatement. It's just, it's hysterical. It cracks me up. Um, and the senior knights find it a bit intolerant, too. They don't kind of like what's going on. In fact, they're meeting in secret to talk about it. And Zaharia's like, what? I don't like secret meetings. None of us like secrets because nobody like Everybody keeps them. Nobody likes them. Welcome to Caliban. Spiral, spiral, spiral. Um, yeah. So, But Nemiel makes Zaharia promise to go to this meeting, and he does not like the sound of this. This seems like not following his duty. This yep. seems like doing something he shouldn't be doing. Um, so Zaharial sneaks over to the cloister gate, goes in, and finds Nemiel, who tells him to put his hood up and follow him. Uh, and they go through a secret door in the floor that leads to a spiral staircase down, down, down. Secrets and spirals, secrets and spirals, to the circle chamber... It spirals underneath that. There's over a thousand steps. He stops counting. Uh, they get to the inner circle, and they want Zaharial to agree with their plan. Well, you got to be part of it. And he's like, I am not agreeing to anything. They're all hooded with their, with their candles, just like the lodges. It, yeah. It reminded me exactly of the lodges. It's, yeah. It's, yeah, that whole secrecy is bad kind of thing. There's and, a lot of, again. Right. Well, and then let's face it. The lodges corrupted everything from within. Seeing something like this, I was like, oh, this is not good. No. Um, and then, so you go through this and, uh, he's like, I'm not, I'm not joining any plan until I know what it is. And they tell him they want to stop the Imperium from taking Caliban away from them. They want Caliban to stay how it was. Their culture is being removed. Their past is being forgotten and removed and they feel adrift, which I thought was great because remember the lion saying, if we could just remove our past, we'd be free. And here their past is removed, and they are horrified. They feel like they don't know where they belong. Yeah, they're not in charge anymore. Well, what's also interesting is I wonder how much the lion wanted to do that because, I mean, let's face it, he had no past. 
No. He, he didn't know where he was from. It obviously was bothering him. And so yeah. rather than... Be alone in that. Yeah. Say, well, you know what? We should all just ignore the past. It's better not to have one. You know, which... He, yeah. Is he lying to himself there? Or is he... Does he really honestly believe that it's better to not have a past? Because when it actually comes to fruition and their past and their culture is being ripped away, they hate it. So at the very least, he, he was wrong. Yeah, he <laughs> might also, because he had the dreams of um, other worlds and all that. So it, it might be some subliminal kind of um, knowledge that something's coming. Um, when we look at other Primarchs, some other Primarchs have kind of like, you know, someone is coming for me, and my, there's, there's right. a light out there and all that. So it might also have been that, that he knows that it's not going to stay like that. So prepare the people ahead of time. So, but, yeah. yeah. So this continues on. They think the Imperium are liars and deceivers. They think the Imperium... And now here, they think the... You know, they come in and they got all these big machines, and I've seen a few of these big giant Astartes... I, I, but I don't know if they're as powerful as they claim. I think they're exaggerating. <laughs> so there's these guys. I think they're exa- we can take them. You know, if, let's face it. If we take them here and take out who they got here and they realize we could take them out, they're not going to send more people because we'll take them out too. Oh, boy. These people are delusional. I mean, and granted, yeah. you can't blame them for being delusional because the vet, the, this just... Once again, you're on a you're on a planet that is not interstellar. You're on your own planet. That's all you're yeah. ever gonna be. Yeah, they've dominated everything that's on that planet. Suddenly, all this stuff shows up. I mean, you got like you said, you got enough of a time adjusting to what's going on. But now it's like, well, we're supposed to believe this BS? Nah, nah, nah. I don't believe that you're that big and that vast and that powerful. It's a it's a kind of a normal reaction, actually. You know, if you, yes. if you're a person who's not going to take them at their word then obviously you're probably not going to believe that they're that big. So they want Zahariel to do it because he's close to the lion, and he's going to be in the honor guard when the emperor shows up. So they want him in on it. And he's like, well, what do you want me to do? Well, you know, they want him to go up and set off a bomb and kill the emperor and the lion and blame it on the Astartes. Or set off a bomb somewhere and blame it on the Astartes. Yeah, killing um, their own people. Yeah, they're going to kill some people. And then finally, the the silent one, the one who wasn't talking, just says, we're going to kill the emperor. Yeah. And Zahariel was like, F this, and walks out. And they're like, what do you mean he's walking out? And this was interesting to me because it was like, I was curious as to how they would react. And, of course, Nemiel follows him. And he's like, oh, they're just talking. They're just talking. Calm down. They wouldn't really try. And he's like, you they better be just talk or that's treason. And Nemiel says, oh, you would you turn against me? Now, I just thought it was weird that Nemiel was on the on these guys' side in the first place. I I mean, I know he's not as duty-bound as Zahariel, and there's got to be a counterpoint to him, but the idea that he would try to do an act of terrorism to do that, it just it struck me as odd, but I, maybe I'm the only one. Um, maybe, again, extreme circumstances, isn't it? You know, make people take extreme measures yeah but i mean i guess this seemed forced to me yeah maybe like maybe. we need another we need another well you needed the thing to you needed a, you needed a, a, a you know a mcgovern to get the um to get zario into that position right well yeah so, we need somewhere to go when the emperor shows up 
We've got to have yeah. some sort of transition. So the, this this dramatic thing with the explosion is a good transition, and but it's and it's another the differences between Nemo and Zahariel. It just it seemed forced. Yeah. And at this point, you see how Zahariel does choose duty because he'll yes. say, and it it seems weird because so many times he lies and he covers up and he it, it's it, you know he keeps tight. He doesn't want to doesn't want to embarrass or hurt his friends. But here, Nemo's like, would you would you actually? Side against me on this. If you don't cut this crap out, yes, yeah, there's a line. Yeah, there's there is a line, and I'm not I'm not going to cross it. Uh, so Nemiel says he'll talk to them, and you know, let them understand that they can't this this just can't happen. Uh, and Zahariel says, "Well, you better." And then they agree never to speak of it again. Um, that's the end of the chapter. I I I just I have a problem with this whole chapter. I. Hey, listen, we're going to go try and kill the emperor. You really shouldn't do that. I don't like your plan. I'm leaving. Well, I mean, I mean, and, but they let him walk. They don't try to stop him. They just trust him to let them go about with their plan. Nemo's like, oh, I can talk him out of it. Yeah, I, th- and I he's think. Like, really? I mean, go ahead. Talk. You know, it, it just it, it starts off with killing some of their own, um, which again is not a you know you have to get there take some getting to and then it's the fourth voice that says no no killing our own is not enough we have to kill the emperor so you've got a bit of escalation there um but then um although you've got all these guys are there thinking that they are the um you know they're going to keep the honor of the knights the the order so why would nemiel not keep his vow to keep quiet because he's a knight yeah. So maybe they're, they're they're kind of staying in that kind of on a bound thing. Well, they yeah, are some it, of the it, older knights. Maybe they've gotten him. It just seems that even between him and his... it seems a bit forced. You know, it had to be. I think it had to be Nemiel that took him down there. But yeah, it just so happens that Nemiel's involved. It doesn't seem quite right. Yeah. I mean, then, I think he would have ratted anybody else out. I mean, it had to be Nemiel. Yeah. For, that's the only reason he's yeah. keeping his mouth shut. It has to be Nemiel, otherwise it would be even worse, even more forced than it is. I, I guess the idea just that he told that he hears a plot to kill the emperor and blow up a bomb in the middle of the ceremony, and his cousin says, I'll stop it. And he goes, okay, you better. And then we're never going to talk about this again. He never even checks with him. Listen, you got this crap stopped, right? Because they agreed. I mean, it just seemed like I could not, I couldn't let that go and never speak of it again. I would have I mean, to at some point be like, listen, you took care of that thing, right? At least that, yeah, you know, like yeah. like one of those slow, quiet mobster insinuations. Or, hey, you take care of that thing? Yeah, I got it. Don't worry about it. You I know, mean, Nemiel does betray it as these guys are just blowing off steam. Yeah, but You know, still. he's like, dude, it's a bunch of old guys who are sitting around going, oh, for crying out loud, wouldn't you just love to? But then know. why... But that doesn't jive at all yeah. with the beginning thing where there are some people who disagree with this and we're having a meeting and you should come with. Yeah. See what I'm saying? Uh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. I, I'm just trying to, yeah, I, I agree. The, the, the chapter doesn't quite work for me either, but just trying to find a little bit of somewhere in it. I mean, I want to cut him some slack. I just, I don't see it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, all right. So then we get to chapter 17. The coming of the Astartes is already being mythologized. All right. Yeah. Once again, and it, it, this is not another one of those sit back and let me tell you stories, but it's it's another instance of how the story changes. Yes. You know, um, Zahariel was always remember being in the forest with the lion and Luther when they arrived, and Luther calling them the dark angels. 
in these stories, Zahariel and Nemiel aren't even in them. But that's okay with him. He doesn't need to be in this particular story. No. It's the it's the story that's important. He's buying into the concept that the truth is not important. It's the story, and that's not good. I mean, you know what I'm saying? You know, it's the whole. Th- you know, it, it goes against everything that they've they've been taught their whole lives. But here, it's the story that's important, not the players in the background. The truth of the tale hardly mattered. People needed their stories. So much was changing. They needed an anchor. Another indication that maybe, you know, stripping away your past isn't a good thing. Um, and the story is different depending on the teller, but they, the name is always The Descent of Angels. That's what this... Ladies and gentlemen, we have a title. So, <laughs> But the story of them showing up on Caliban is this Descent of Angels. Um, the day of the emperor's arrival, thousands are gathered. Everybody's ready. The Astartes are coming. And these Astartes are huge, even out of their armor. People are just amazed. Um, Zaharyl's all proud because he's in the lion's procession. Nemiel is not. One of the few times that they're not both there. Um, But the lion has seemed to favor Zaharyl a lot of this time. So it's not odd. It's funny how when Zaharyl does something and Nemiel gets left out, it's like, well, you know, he didn't make it. Um, Whenever the situation is reversed, though, it's not a, well, he didn't make it type thing. But we'll let that go, too. Um, Zaharyl keeps thinking about that traitor meeting, and it's upsetting him. But this excitement keeps pushing. It's like. He's at the thing where they were going to blow stuff up, and he can't. At least, at least it's still in his mind. You know, it's not like, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? He hasn't forgotten about it. It's still kind of upsetting him that they were even planning to do something during this. You know, um, he sees the lion standing there. He's all in awe of him. You know, the lion is just you know there, just the amazing, awesome thing. Uh, he's blonde, which is rare on Caliban. He's just under three meters. He's like nine feet tall. Um, you know, Zahariel sees that fourth guy from the meeting. Um, he recognizes the the him. He sees the guy with his hood on. Oh, what's that? And I, I don't know if this is his psychic sight kicking in again, but he sees. Well, what's up with that? And he sees him all serious. And so Zahariel's walking and kind of keeps pace with him, and he actually walks out of the procession to go follow him, which is not going unnoticed. No, breaks protocol. Yeah, I mean, there's other people, and they just keep marching because, well, we're not going to stop because he stopped. We're going to keep marching. But that doesn't mean that other Astartes watching around on the perimeter aren't noticing. Um, and this is actually a pretty nice scene. I like this. Um, he starts following him, and the guy starts to run. And he chases him, knocks him down, all the great things. Every great scene you've ever seen with the mad bomber running with the bomb and the guy that knows he's got the bomb chasing him, you know? Yeah. Uh, the explosives fall out, and he's like, oh, crap. <laughs> These are huge bombs. So Zaharyl's screaming and yelling at him, uh, and the guy just goes all sorts of stupid. I mean, it's just like they're freaking out. Um, Zaharyl turns around, and he realizes why the guy's just gone stupid, and that's because an entire city is falling out of the sky, which is just a great description. <laughs> The emperor's ship is landing, and it's the size of a flipping city. Now, it's the size of a Calibanite city, which... That's still a big city, yeah. It's still, <laughs> um, suddenly, there's Astartes all around him, and they're grabbing him all. Zahariel is afraid, and he is really afraid. This guy's picking him up by his throat, holding him up in the air. Um, I'd have probably peed my pants at this point. 
yeah. and not just out of fear, just someone nine foot tall in power armor grabs you and picks you up by the throat and is holding you, and and all this other stuff is going on, you might lose control of yourself. <laughs> um, um, yeah, fair reaction. Yeah, uh, Midris, and it's Midris, that guy that he first saw. Yeah. And he's holding Zahariel by the neck, and Z is, Z, Zahariel's right about to pass out, and all he hears is Midris look at him and call him a traitor. And then he's mm. out. He's passed out. Not messing around. Ooh, that's a and then and, and fade to black. Yes. Yeah. And then he wakes up in chapter seventeen. And Nineteen. He's a, or chapter eighteen. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and he's a prisoner. He's yeah. on a ship. Uh, he's on a ship that the room is made obviously the size of an Astartes. He realizes he's got to be on some ship. He can kind of hear some weird dull. Like he, he thinks it's an engine, like he can hear some rhythmic beat of something going on. Mm. Uh, but he's upset that he's being held, and he's yelling, "Hey, can somebody? Hey, don't you know I was trying? You know, he's like, don't these idiots see I was trying to stop that guy? It was obvious that I was trying to stop this guy." So he's a little pissed off, which is somewhat brave in the face of what's going on. I got to hand it to him. When you're stuck in a room by yourself, it might be easy to be pissed off and brave. Yeah. I mean, I mean but, that, you know. But still, I mean, even then, because even then the Astartes show up and they just basically, two, they each grab an arm and start walking with him, which to me is, that's almost more frightening than the other thing because. Yeah, what's going next? Well, yeah, they each, first of all, I'm just picturing them walking down the hall with a puny human between their arms with these big hands and power armor the size of at least his, you know, his, you know, half of his arm from the shoulder to the elbow, maybe more. And these guys could rip him in half if they want to, and they're just dragging him down the hallway. And uh, Brother Israfiel is there, and he's, he's they're in this huge room, and Brother Israfiel is questioning him. And this is interesting because it's kind of like the questioning from the three because it's yeah, dark. and Very similar. Yeah. It goes back to that. Um, and he tells them the truth about what happened, but he tries to keep Nemiel out of it, like not mention Nemiel at all. Uh, there was a meeting, and I went, and I went to the place, and these guys were there, but never really mentioned how he found out about it or who brought him there. Um, and they're not certain if he's telling the truth or not, so Israfiel basically breaks into his mind. Yes. Uh, you know, he's a psyker, and he's going to... Uh, he's going to see what's in his head, and he feels him in his head, and he actually fights, and, you know fights back like get out of my mind you know um yeah. makes it, it makes it difficult enough yeah which is but then there's this great part where he hears is Raphael sort of in his head tell him listen i can go and rip your head apart and find out exactly what i want to find out but your brain wouldn't be much good to you afterwards yeah. or you can tell us the exact truth answer every question that we keep asking you Meanwhile, I'll just keep here. I'm looking. You can let me look peacefully. And when we're done, then we'll see what happens. But I guarantee you, if you're going to struggle, I'll burn your brain. <laughs> so it's a woof. So uh, yeah, when it comes to the safety of the emperor, yeah, that's that's what space marines will do. Yeah, this will and go we'll- easier for you. I'm not saying you're going to be fine, but yeah. it'll be easier if you just go with this because there's no, you know. Um, 
He tells them everything. He's exonerated. I like how he, when Brother Israel, like sort of pulls out of his mind, he feels it. Like he didn't even yeah. realize the pressure on his skull. Like he had got, you know, he hit him so hard that when he pulled back, he thought he was out of his head. Mm. And he didn't realize till he actually did pull all the way out of his head that, that he was, was still, still yeah. there. Uh, and then the emperor shows up. That's so cool. Where is this? Hold on. I have it marked. Uh, the Astartes rose to their feet, but Zahariel remained. Oh, yeah, do not kneel. <laughs> you know, this guy walks in. He tried yeah. to see past the glare of the light behind the figure. But his eyes were adjusting to the blackness of the light. He could make out little than a golden halo of light behind the warrior. They all drop to their knees. He drops down. Um, Zahariel remained rooted to the spot, his eyes locked on a portion of the floor. The light spread over the deck, rippling like golden water as it radiated from the armored warrior. It seems I owe you a debt, young Zahariel, said the golden figure, and for that I thank you. In time you'll forget this, but while your memories are still your own, I wish to thank you for what you did. That's so weird. Like, how would you ever forget meeting the emperor? Unless, of course, he doesn't want you to remember. Yes. Which is just sad, because it, but it's just like, wow, that power. Zahariel tried to answer, but found his mouth welded shut, his tongue lifeless on its pellet. No power in the galaxy could have forced him to look up into the warrior's face. And like the certainty that had gripped him as he looked into the darkness beneath the watcher in the dark's hood, Zahariel knew that were he to look up, he would be driven just as mad. He tried again to form words, but each time they formed in his mind, they were snatched away like leaves in a hurricane. Zahariel could not speak, yet he knew that the wondrous figure knew his thoughts as surely as if they had been his own. He felt the warrior's presence like a vast weight pressing in on his mind, an immense strength and power that was only kept from snuffing out his existence because it was held in check by a will stronger than the Rock of Caliban. The power he sensed growing in his own mind and that which had brushed in Israfiel's mind were like candles in a storm next to this warrior's ability. Zahariel felt as though he was being smothered beneath an enfolding blanket, and the sensation was far from unpleasant. He has a touch of power, said the warrior, and Zahariel felt his spirit soar at such notice, even as he feared the import of these earlier words. He does, my lord. He is a prime candidate for the librarius. He is indeed, agreed to the warrior. See to it. But be sure he remembers nothing of this. No suspicion of any dissent must exist within the legion. We must be united, or we're lost. We'll be done. Well, I love how we, we we must look united. No, no. I mean, no look of dissent. Obviously, there is. And then, ah, uh, in my book, it says we must be united, or we are lost. Right, but before that, doesn't it say no suspicion uh, of any dissent? Okay, I'll I'll read mine. Must no suspicion of any dissent must exist within the legion. Right, we must be united, or we are lost. So no suspicion. So yeah, but there is so dissent. even even a suspicion. Yeah, but if they even have a suspicion, yeah, and they can't prove otherwise, like they have with Ariel, they will take it out. Right, there's no there's no messing here. So uh, that's just fantastic. It is brilliant. It's um, my first thought was of uh, Moses, uh, the um, receiving the tablets. Oh, from yeah, <laughs> yeah, and, and and God, you know, in the Bible, God tells Moses, go and hide in this cave. Uh, and whatever you do, don't look out because you can't cope. Right. And here we see Zariel is like, I can't look up. I can't look up. I can't cope. Yeah. And th- the funny thing is that that feeling of after you've been or met the emperor, been around him a while. Mm. Because if you read, uh, and you brought it up and it just sparked something in my head, is that uh, if you read the Bible, Moses, after a while, after going to see God so many times, he had to wear a veil over his face. 
because literally the light of God was in him, and they said that he would literally he 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 seemed to glow with a light about him. Yeah. And so just that having that influence around him, you know, it, it triggered something in him. Yeah. Being around him so often that he would wear veils over his face because it was disturbing. That he would yeah. that just from that influence. So another, I mean, I know it's completely off topic, but. You know, if you're going to look at the well, emperor as a god and that sort of power, yes, it's that similar thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's that's what we yeah you know, we're here to make references and things like that. So right, it's, it's fair enough that we do. But it's funny because now he's back in the ranks and he's all excited because he was chosen for gene gene enhancement. Yeah, um, it takes him two days to find Nemiel, and Nemiel well, has thousands there now. Right, but that's just I mean, for them to be separated for any long period of time is odd. Yeah. But so then he finds Nemiel, and Nemiel's all nervous. He doesn't know why he's all nervous. He just seems nervous. And I guess Nemiel's sort of avoiding him, too, because of whatever. I mean, I guess Nemiel's afraid. I mean, they grab Zahariel. They grab the guy that was implicated in the plot. I'd be yeah, nervous. Well, Nem- Nemiel might have still been going on with it. He, Could he have know. been a part of it still? And if he wasn't a part of it, I mean, is he? A f- let's face it, yeah, that other guy's dead. Know. You know that other yeah. guy disappeared. Nobody ever saw his, him again. No, they even absolutely. said he's in the he's in the he's being tortured for information right now. The only reason you're I not. I mean, you would you would probably think that they would find out, right? But you don't know. You don't know what's what's involved with that guy. So Nemiel's, you know, fearing. Yeah, no, right. we haven't and, seen that bloke since, and we haven't seen you for however many days. You know, I'm worried. <laughs> right, and then and then when he does show up and he's looking for Nem- Nemiel, it's like, why is he looking for me? Because I mean, you could totally think. Listen, they let him live, but he's got to go. Now get his cousin and turn. I mean, there's also I'd be I'd be scared as hell too. You know? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So is and Zariel has no idea why he's nervous because he doesn't remember any of it. No. Uh, so they're there at this gathering and they're going to hear the lion speak and this is cool because the, it's only the Astartes and those who have chosen to become Astartes. Yes. Now does that also include people who have been chosen but can't be like like Luther because Luther doesn't get the gene seed. He's too old. Is you he would you would. Um... It probably. I think um, he's there too. But. This seems to be like those that are going to become the Legion. Right. And a number of people like Luther won't receive the full um, gene seed, uh, the, the full space marine treatment, but they might receive certain aspects of the um, of, of the treatment. So yeah. some, of, some of the organs and things like that. So then, um, and then basically they get there and, and there's a, about a page and a half where the lion... Oh, Luther's on stage speech. with lion. Oh, Luther yeah. is on stage, yeah, so he's there too. Yeah, flanked by Lord Cypher, who's the new Lord Cypher. We've heard him speak a few times. The new Cypher, which right. Which is quite cool. Um, so then he comes up and it's, it's basically the lion, the lion gives his great speech. It's a new age for Caliban. You know, once I declared a great crusade... And now I see it was I was merely emulating a greater man's dream, that of my father, the emperor. And they all cheered because they've never heard him refer to the emperor. That's the first time he actually calls the emperor his father. Yeah. Um, they've all been chosen to be part of a of a greater you know a greater thing. Uh, I love it. From this day forth, you will forget your past life. From this day forth, you are a warrior of the legion. Nothing else is of consequence. The legion is all that matters. But that's. You know, it, it seems like he's still pushing that you have no past thing, but yeah. they also did that when they became knights. Zahariel's yes. no longer his father's son; he's a knight. He's got a new family. So, it's, yeah, it, to me, it felt more of an echoing of the becoming a knight, becoming right. a space marine. Right. 
So Zahariel's holding his, he's all excited. We are the first legion, said the lion, the honored, the sons of the lion, and we will not be marching to war without a name that strikes terror into the hearts of our enemies. As our legend spoke of the great heroes who held back the monsters of our distant past, so too shall we hold back the enemies of the Imperium as we set off to the greater void to fight in the name of the Emperor. We shall be the Dark Angels. Dramatic music. have a name. Exactly. And scene. And that's the end of book three. Yep. I think we should take a break here. And be back with uh, and we'll Crusade. And the exciting conclusion, Crusade. And welcome back uh, to part four of Descent of Angels Crusade. Yes, so it's getting exciting. They're finally going to get to go uh, <laughs> three quarters of the way through the book. They're going to go off and do some space marining. So, oh yeah, let's see what's going on. So, okay, uh, chapter was this chapter nineteen? Let me just nineteen. Talk. Okay, yeah. <laughs> still, once again, my notes say exactly what the book says. So I'm still trying to make sure I got it all right. So let's see. Zahariel and them are now Astartes, uh, and yep. I love the beginning. This is—I think this is the first time you get a space marine sitting around, just sort of wondering at his own amazingness. Which I mean, <laughs> it's one of the only times in kind of even with forty k, you don't see. No, there aren't many times where you get to see um, an a new space marine, kind of, and that reflection of what they were and what they are it's it's quite rare um, uh, the um the ragnar blackman series does it a little bit but there's there's not many books based on this right here where's the passage i had marked out this is just let's see uh he had been made into a new man his mind and body had both been altered transformed into something more than human through the application of imperial science and the marvels of gene seed he had been recast and recreated into a more warlike mold. Let's see. Uh, he was introduced into libraries where he learned of the warp. Uh, he learned this blah, blah, blah. Where is it? As much as his newfound abilities would forever mark him out as special amongst the, the Legion, he was first and foremost a warrior, and it was in the crucible of combat he would earn his renown. He was no longer an ordinary man, nor was he simply an extraordinary warrior. The Imperium made him so much more. He had been made. They had made him for war. He had become a god of battle, a member of the Astartes. Uh, it's just such great. I mean, I love how in the beginning it just even says his sheer size still amazes him at times. Yeah, you know how he would never get sick. His mind and body had been altered. He had a purpose. He had a mission. It's just a very cool description of what it means to be an Astartes, like from someone who wasn't. I mean, yeah. is anybody someone who was human who is now? Yeah. Not human, yeah, or, or post-human or whatever. You want so to call when it. The, when the emperor first made the Astartes on Earth, were those humans that were made? Or, yes. Okay, so everybody at some point was a human first. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, space marines can only be made. Uh, yes, a space marine is a modified human. Okay, so where, they weren't... where the primarchs aren't, okay. space marines are. Because I knew they were used. I, I knew they used the primarchs 
you know, genetics to, to create them. I didn't know if they literally cloned, but that would no, be cloning. That they, would be the same, would it? Yeah, that would be cloning. They, they used – it's it's not quite that simple. They used kind of processes of the Primarchs within that. But there's a oh, – we covered it in the – in the first we did. feedback. Yeah, we I can't remember it. the it's name. Just... There's, a, there's a certain incident where they try and um, shore up the gene seed of many of the legions, and they can only do that once they found their Primarchs and use the actual kind of DNA coding and all that. Um, so, yeah, they, they, they get more of their Primarch in some, them. Some very cool stuff, though. I, mean, I really enjoyed that part. So, let's see. Uh, Nimiel is obviously there with him. They arrive at Sarosh, or Sarosh, whatever, um, I like this. Now, Nemiel is un- upset, and he's complaining because they're getting guard duty, uh, which is what he calls it. This, it's a non-compliant world. Um, it's weird because it's a non-compliant world that is apparently desperately trying to be compliant, but they are just also amazingly inept or something like that. It's really bizarre. Uh, yeah. The geography... They're like French or something. <laughs> but either way, so... Um, <laughs> Zaharyl's reminded of Caliban by the geography. And he's there, and of course, I'm doing my duty, ready to do my duty. Uh, and Nemiel is not happy about it. He's like, duty my eye, I'm not happy about it. He's still grumbling. Um, they get there, and there's the whole procession for the White Scars to hand over the task. Chapter Master Hedariel's there. He's wor- he comes in there, he's worried they're going to do something stupid. Um, it's it's really kind of funny, because they're sending him an, okay, guys, remember, do it. like, oh, don't worry about it, we won't do anything wrong um there is a weird uh part here where they're talking about kind of how they're they pity him you know um apparently he's the chapter master but he could not take the gene seed he was too old so they yeah it happened quite a lot with when they went to planets um the the older members of kind of the inner councils of the primarchs so we, we look at it across various legions yeah they're too old for many of the um treatments that can be done they can have some of them but not all of them so, so they're, they're still they're less than space marines yeah but they're more yeah. than human they get this adjustment and they talk about this how he couldn't be made of starties so he's pushing twice as hard everything's got to be perfect yeah. Uh, but in he, fact, the um, the model of Corfarian that Forge World have released, if you look at it from the back, he's got little raised bits in his feet because he's not the size of a space marine. Oh, really? So to fit in his armor and that, it's modified and all that, yeah. Oh, wow, okay, I did not know that. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah, but so it's like, and you kind of, you, you get the general idea is that he's got, he's got a bit of a complex. You know, he may never say it. But he's going to push to be perfect. He's going to yell and scream and shout. There's a part where they talk about how when he's standing with a bunch of space marines, when he talks, he waves his arms around a lot, like building himself more space, like trying to make himself seem bigger. Uh, And he's like, I don't even know if he's doing it consciously, but, you know, he's pushing twice as hard. He's only getting half the results. And that really, you know, that sort of, you know, you know, it's just—it's an interesting thing because I hadn't thought about that. These guys who you know were the leaders before, and they're too yeah. old to get it, and so now they're still kept on. I mean, the line's really nice, and see, these guys know all about this stuff. They know what they're doing. They should be the leaders, even though they don't have. Well, that's the, it. Yeah, anyone who's kept in these positions is there by merit, right? Um, and so we look at different you know, web bearers, particularly, um, but uh, across all the legions, these are some of them are quite powerful guys still yeah. even though they haven't got the the physical attributes of the astartes 
Yeah, there's even a mention later in the book about something about how he, you know, he's got this position, but the Lions had to pull him in a couple of times and been like, "You're acting like a jerk." You know, you need yeah. to you need to rein yourself in a bit. So, I mean, it's 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 this whole chapter was really interesting to me because it showed all the little things that were not normally space marine if you know what I'm saying. Like, we all just picture yeah. the space marines, and they are what they are. To get people who are newly transformed and marveling at it, uh, to have those people be the ones looking at the guys who weren't transformed. Because a lot of times you see, like, as we've seen the other books, you, you, there's a lot of space marines who look down on anybody who's just who's just human. Yes. And here it's not looking down. It's kind of sad. It's like, And it's like, I feel bad because this is a guy who should be a marine. And so you see all these different little branches. I really enjoyed that part of the chapter. Um, but then Zahariel tells Nemiel to not offend the White Scars because they've got this procession going on. And he says he won't. He's just jealous that they get to go out and he's pulled guard duty. He's a proper space marine. Yeah. We, we see it all the time through the book. Space marines are born to fight. They're bred to fight. And this they is don't, what they want to do. Yeah, and they don't want to sit there. Uh, these orders came from Luther and the Lion, though, so they got no... No choice. Uh, they do their job. So they show up, and they're part of the whole procession. And Shang Khan, who is the ranking officer of the White Scars there, he ceremoniously hands off the Soroshi mission to the Lion. And he tells him there's no glory. It's a terrible assignment. Um, it's kind of interesting. There's a quote saying that the, the ceremony had more import than the actual job. Like, they, you know, the yeah. ceremony was quick and, and had all the, the, the pomp to it. But even though it was short, it's like there was more pomp than this really deserves. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just babysitting. Yep. And then we get this really that we get this uh background on what's going on here on Sarash. Uh it had been contacted a year ago and they showed up and they said, Hey, we're coming to bring you the Imperial Truth, blah 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 and they're like, Oh yay. We're happy to be compliant, let's go. Um they embrace the Imperial language, they seem to embrace compliance, there is no violence, no refusal. As you put it, just an unwavering failure to complete the tasks set forth to them. It's like, okay, you need to be this by this time. Total failure. And they apologize, blame it on communication breakdowns, language barriers. They promise to improve. There's still this amazing bureaucratic system. Okay, the bureaucracy here, this, this was so, like the way they described it, all I could compare it to, I mean, this didn't seem like anything from... The the thirty k or the forty k world. This seemed like a planet that you would have visited if you were reading Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Yeah, a if you bit, know what yeah. I'm saying. Because it seems like a joke. Okay, they've got this bureaucratic world so huge and convoluted that nothing gets done. Yeah. Um, basically, you get a huge break on your taxes if you work part time for the bureaucracy, and they don't call it the government; they say the bureaucracy. So almost everybody tries to work out for the government because you get a huge tax break. They said at the current count, you know, of the of the however many people living on the planet, like fully a third of them worked in this bureaucracy. Um, there's a guy who shows up later and his job is to just explain things to people. So because going from department to department to department, they may interpret something differently. So if a problem goes on long enough, they call in this guy to make sure everybody is on the same page and actually understands what the problem is. There's a job for a guy to explain what the problem is between two people yeah. arguing because they might not even know what they're arguing about. I mean, it's a ludicrous system in explanation. It is, but they don't have to pay for anyone to work there. 
No. Yeah, because you pay less taxes. Yeah. And apparently it's a really tough test because a lot of people fail because they, you know, they, they actually want people who are smart and in here, but. I mean, I could see, yeah, I could see kind of this world working in a weird way, kind of probably a bit corrupt, um, but in their own system of, of working somehow. But obviously right. when it comes to the compliance and they don't, or any time that the heads don't want something to happen. It gets They've lost got utter bureaucracy. control over it because they can just lose it how they wish within the system. It's, it's amazing that it's so easy to bury something in this system. Anything you don't want to yeah. happen, it's just easily buried. So, okay, so this goes on. We, we meet the Lord Governor-elect Harold First, and this is where now he is met, the, the lion meets him, and the lion just basically says, all right, You've got two months to get this in order, or I decide what happens. I either bring people in and just force things the right way, or in two months I just decide you guys can't do it, and I come in and, and smash heads. But you have two months. It's just, it's just great. That's basically w- what they're handed. And then um, now you get to see what's going on. It's cool that as, they're, as they go up, to, they go on to the Invincible Reason. And uh, Zaharia looks out and he compares it to the Wrath of Caliban, uh, which are two, you know, two of these giant, you know, three mile long ships. Yeah. Um, Invincible Reason has the huge viewports, has all this stuff. And you compare it to Wrath of Caliban, which is very, it's very Spartan. There's not a lot of decoration as they describe it. Every inch is at a premium, much like it was back on Caliban. You know, yes. everything's very sparse. Uh, the Invincible Reason compared to that seems like a palace. Uh, he says it seems ostentatious for a vehicle made for war. Zahariel thinks it's just there's all this decoration and stuff that going to war it sh- that shouldn't be here. Um, it's sort of an interesting comparison. But then this guy Kyrgyz from the White Scars shows up to him, and he says something how it looks like. Where is it? <laughs> um, it looks like a Joy Girl's house of business. <laughs> he walks up to him, and he's yeah. like. I'm sorry. What he's like, this place. He goes. I could tell. He's like, you can read my. What are you? Are you a lib? Are you, you know, are you a library or something like that? He's like, no, no. I could just, I could just read your face, man. He's like, it's obvious that you know. I, I kind of feel the same way. So it's interesting. You get a guy who comes up there. They're sort of like instantly. They sort Connect. of kind of get each other. Yeah. Uh, he brings them wine and they toast each other's primarchs and they're talking. And Zaharil just keeps saying, well, you know, we're doing, I'm doing my duty. And he's looking at him like, really? He's like, really? That's like, you know, he's like, because he's like, I'm sorry you have to take this. No, nah, no worries. I'm doing my duty. Come on. Seriously. I, <laughs> you know, um, which is interesting that this whole idea that even him saying I'm just doing my duty and just accepting things like is not just foreign to Nemeal, but it seems foreign to a lot of people. Like, like come on, you got to have an opinion. No, nah, I just do my duty. You know, yeah. Well, they say they go for that psychometric testing once they're. Uh, it's going to be part of it, right? And, and, Kurt, and the lion knows best as well. Exactly, the lion. Knows. <laughs> uh, but Kyrgyz is like, we should be making war on our enemies, and they discuss the the chapter master because they ask him. He, the, the white scar guy asks him about it. Um, yeah. you know, and uh, he's not an Astartes. Luther isn't an Astartes either. You know, he's been, you know, modified as he can, but he's not. The, the Sigilite, this is the same stuff they did to him, right? 
I mean, basically. What, what, what stuff? Malkador. Uh, like Luther and uh, Chapter Master. No, different. Uh, Haradra. I mean, he had some other stuff done too, but I mean, it's still this life prolonging, boosting up. Um, yeah, any anyone worth any value in 30K or 40K, um, their life can be extended. So, you know, we look at the average human being, what, 75 years on Earth. Um, it's not it's not unreasonable for a very wealthy uh, inquisitor to live, you know, a few hundred years okay. um, with juvenile treatments and things like that. And, you know, it's very expensive and it's only worth it for people who are important enough. So, but yeah, the Sigilite might be a different issue. He's the Emperor's best mate. <laughs> <laughs> there could be anything going on there. How um, old is but, he? Like, you know, let's uh, not get into that. That's a totally different topic. But you just uh, yeah. you mentioned no how they're best knows. friends, and I'm wondering no how long he's where been. he came from. Yeah, it's like how long have they been together? He, 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 when when the emperor emerged, I think if I remember correctly, when the emperor emerged in the uh, Unity Wars, um, the Sigilite was already there, um, and you know the Great Crusade goes on 190 odd years before the Heresy. So that's 190 odd years um, wow. that you, that's known about. Um, yeah. Pl- plus, plus the time to actually. So you're looking at over 200 years that's known about. Right. Um, but who knows the real, real origins? Cool. Now it's funny though because they discuss how hard it is for Haradriel, a chapter master, and not being a Stardis effect. This is the thing I talk about how the lion had to take take him aside and talk to him. But it's funny because they mentioned that they mentioned that Luther's not and Astartes either. And then they talk about all the difficulties for Heredriel having to, you know, just put up with the fact that he used to be in charge and he was one of the biggest and, the and you know, and now he's one of the tiniest guys. And there's, there's I mean, for a warrior, that's got to psychologically do something. I mean, they, they, they have, I mean, they call them, yeah. you know, there is a Napoleon complex for a reason. You know what Absolutely. I'm saying? I mean, yeah, he even states, it, you know, he clashes repeatedly with officers, uh, has a tendency to take issue with every imagined slight, um, he's convinced he's being subtly snubbed. Right. All those things, yeah. So um, I wonder if I wonder if Luther's feeling that too, at all. Yeah. No one remembered his part. And Zahariel sort of said he saw in his look for a minute that minute of disappointment, and we don't get him at all. So I'm just I'm just curious. But then the important part of this chapter is where Kyrgyz just walks up to him and says, "Don't trust him." He's <laughs> like, "What? Do not trust the Sarashi. Don't turn your backs on them." And he puts, either they're putting off compliance or they are the unluckiest people in the galaxy, and I do not believe in luck. He's like, so do not trust them. And uh, he goes, there will be a festival and promises, and after the promises, there will be all sorts of penance at their failure. They will, it's just the way he describes it. They're going to promise you everything, and then they're going to cry and wail and tear their clothes and gnash their teeth when they don't do it. Yeah. And he's basically like, in four hours, you're that's it. In four hours, you're on your own. And so, that, you know, they're going to be a festival. We're leaving, and they're going to be a festival welcoming you, but we're leaving in four hours. So you've got just that much time to get things going and figure out what you need to figure out. And that's chapter, eight, that's chapter 19. So let's move quickly to chapter 20. Um, this is an interesting one. There's a guy, Dusan, and he's the guy I told you about who's the... Uh, He's the Imperial Explainer, or whatever it is, the Sarashi Explainer, the whatever their title is. Extrapolator, is it, or something stupid like that? Yeah. Uh, Exegetist. Don't quite know how to pronounce that. So, it's just, oh, it's just the dumbest. 
It's just the most bizarre job. But uh, oh, he's a professional explainer. Yeah, the professional explainer. That's what he told her. So um, she's he's talking to her, and she this woman Rihanna. She's uh, what an a uh, remembrance. A remembrancer. Yeah, remembrance. And he's talking to her about the dark angels, and she's just looking over the city. Uh, it would be a shame for them to ruin all this. And she's like, they're not going to ruin all this. And she's taking pictures. But she's a composer, and she wants to hear this Sarashi music she heard so much about. Um, it's an interesting description of the city, though. All the people are followed by their own like personal glow globe. Yeah, it's cool. You know, sort of like the ones in Dune, those little floating little glow globes. So from above yeah. the city, from the rooftops at night, it's just all these little globes of light sort of moving about. You can see where people are, you know. Um, yes, yeah, it must save money on street lighting. I guess. You just have the light follow the person as is necessary. Good way to track them as well. The place is really clean and nice and not overcrowded. and Perfect. Uh, yeah. There's been no Sarashi war here for over a thousand years. There's been no war on the planet. And there's no hives. Like she's thinking back to the hive planets, just all the huge things built. Everything's yeah. spread out and nice and perfect. Some small languages difference language differences that made for confusion in the beginning, but nothing really bad. Uh it's a little weird though. You know, I mean it's a little weird that the place seems so perfect. So Yeah, there's a few little hints in there. That's you know Yeah. You know, nothing's ever perfect in this universe. So when you find something perfect, that's the first sign that there's something wrong. With well, it. We have an intoxicating musk from the purple flowers. Oh, that's true. That and, and they're think, yeah, uh, there's calming restative quality, and yeah, you start to look at it like this little paradise that there is. Yeah, dropping little hints at you though. Now Zahariel has only been there for a day. And after spending a day here working and meeting these people, he feels that the advice he got from his White Scars brother was good advice. Um, and he sat there. He goes, Nemiel's usually the suspicious one, but something is just not right. And here's the one that really interests me. And I didn't quite, I still don't think I got the point of this. Um, you know, I'm never 100% certain when you're reading these things, when they keep it vague. Perhaps it was the masks that did it. It was the cultural norm for all adults and children on Sarash to continually wear masks. Accepting their most intimate and private moments, the Sarashi went masked at all times. Not just in public, but in their homes as well. Zahariel had heard tell of many surprising customs among the peoples of rediscovered worlds, but the Sarashi practice of mask wearing was easily the most remarkable he'd encountered. Masks were rigid and made of gold, covering the wearer's face entirely, but not the ears or the rest of the head. Each mask was shaped to show the same handsome, stylized facial features, identical for both men and women. They reminded Zahariel of the ceramic death mask created in some cultures, cast from the faces of the recently deceased. He's always found such death masks to have some emptiness to them. They recorded the dimensions and features of the face in question, but after death they were unable to record the true nature of the subject. There was something vital missing, a lack of expression and detail that reduced the death mask to almost to the level of caricature. It was the same with the masks of Sarash. Um, yeah, that's weird. This is a little weird custom that the, yes. everybody wears masks all the time. Um, 
Secrecy. Yeah. I mean, what are you hiding? And I guess, you know, yeah, it's, you know, you can be anyone walking along with a different mask and all that. That starts to set you on edge. As a, yeah. I mean, yeah. just walking through and everybody looks identical. I mean, I, you know, there's, uh, yeah. If you've read anything in your whole life, you've gone to school and read anything, you know that that's Ooh. weird. Yeah. And always, um, the criminal justice, there are no prisons. Yeah, you have to Sarosh. work extra bureaucracy hours without without a tax break for them if you do criminal offenses. So <laughs> it's a punishment, and it's 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 the weirdest thing. Their whole their whole life revolves around this oversized government. It's just it's bizarre. It's uh, good. It's yeah, and it's it's alien. It's really alien. It's hard to understand, which yeah. is cool. Um, now, Kyrgyz points out that their census is weird too. Yes. Now, he points out that according to the figures, you take the figures of their populations that they had for their censuses and take it into account the, 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 the death rate and the birth rate, their current population is 8% low, which basically he says if his figures are correct, their 70 million people have disappeared from Sirach in the last 10 years. Yeah. That, that's that's crazy. It's a lot of people, and yet the eight percent is even scarier—the sacred number of chaos. Oh wait, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, the octet, the eight-sided star. Okay. Now he tells him this. Now we cut back to Rihanna, Rihanna. and she's being led around during the festival by D- Dusan, the guy that was talking to her earlier, because she had asked him. She said, "I want to hear your music," and he's like, "I'm not a musician." And there's that language barrier. He's like, "No, no, no." I've heard that Sarashi music is beautiful, and I haven't heard any of it. So they're at the festival, and she's listening to it, and he's walking around and showing her stuff, and that's when you find out he's a professional explainer. Uh, and then he tells her he's going to hear some better music. And as they're walking, she's kind of walking, going, where are we going? She realizes she's feeling a little funny, yep. a little drowsy. You know, the music and, like, and the scent as classic Slaneshi style. Yep. <laughs> if anybody who remembers Fulgrim. Oh yeah, the, the weird, the weird musk, and the music playing, and he tells her he's taking her a place that has much better music, and they get there, and he's kind of at some point she's like, "Wait, where are we going?" And he just grabs her by the arm. Now he's being rough. He's not even being kind. He's just dragging her along, and he tells her that the Meladrim have declared the Imperium unclean. Melchim, Melchim, yeah, oh, the Melchim, oh, yeah, the Melchim, 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 yeah, something like that. Yeah. Just yeah. trying different different yeah. ways of saying it. <laughs> yep, there you go. Your liar angels must not be allowed to pollute us. Right, liar angels. Oh, <laughs> just let one of them hear you say that. Let's see how long your lifespan is. But we'll skip that part. Uh, but and they, they, yeah. Rihanna, she's going to be a weapon. Yes. And suddenly she's paralyzed. She can't move. She can't talk. Now, By these uh, these creatures with um, uh, uh, unconventional ways of moving. Yeah, well, they come Odd up with sideways this sideways gait, right. knees and angles, flexing at peculiar angles. Yeah, they come up with a cart for her. They move funny. Now, they say one of the masks slips and she sees it and she screams despite the paralysis taking over her body. And that's the end of chapter 20. So, I mean... Okay, here's my question. So those are like, what are they, demonettes? Is that what I'm supposed to believe? Because they got those weird legs, like those animal doesn't legs. doesn't sound like it. It um, doesn't sound like it. It almost sounded like lizard-like to me when I was reading it, didn't it? Uh, well, 
more uh, had an odd sideways gait, knees and ankles flexing at peculiar angles. I don't know. I was thinking more like crab or something like that. But I mean, again, demonettes and fiends and things are associated with Sinesh and Nurglings and blah blah blah. But there are, you know, there's a multitude of demonic things out right. there that are associated with everything. So I, I we're not just, always looking at the, the same things. But yeah, I've, no, I've never heard anything described like that, I don't think. Yeah, I was just thinking because they still were wearing masks and they had robes on. When she described them at first, they looked like two people coming with weird walks, which led me to believe this whole thing with the masks that these basically yeah, could be hiding demons could be wandering around behind them. I mean, because... I mean, it could be heavily kind of um, mutilated humans. Right. Um, we don't know. Yeah. We don't know. So, okay, so I didn't miss something there. I just was like, what the hell? <laughs> Not unless I missed it. Okay, good. So that thing goes and she screams and she's dead. And then we're on to chapter 21. I did. I, it's, it's through all that talk and the discussion. It's, um, it's amazing that we've seen the Imperium go to certain planets and demand and demand and demand, and yet they were quite patient with these guys, even through their ineptitude. Um, at no point did they think and go, right, we're coming down anyway. We're scrapping your government because we're going to scrap your government anyway. So let's just do things our way. Now, is that a White Scars thing? or well, that's, that's a Great Crusade thing. Yeah. But I'm just wondering if, because if they were that, I mean, because other plan, I mean, what's it, what the, the, the word bearers got in trouble because they would be very patient they took too long. Yeah, on Monarchy. Got- well, yeah, I mean, yeah, that's that's uh, a slightly different issue in that they um, they converted worlds and spent longer kind of solidifying right. uh, their their place in the Imperium. Um, this is the the Great Crusade turning up and going, oh, you want to join us? Brilliant. Um, yeah, we can we can sit around for a whole year and wait for you to do it. Um, I think even like the human bits were. You know, the white guys want to be off. Um, even the human generals would kind of want to say, look, we're going to set a date, and if you don't do it, we'll sort it out for you. Yeah, it seemed weird that they didn't, but I, mean, I, was, just, I was just assuming but, it was because of the amazing politeness and they're begging, please, we want to do this, let us do this. It, it, it might be. Um, it just seemed a little bit of a kind of contrast to the way I consider the, you know, the, the velvet flipping iron fist of the Imperium coming in and just saying, look, because they're They'll set up their own systems anyway. They'll put their own, you know, kind of tides and everything on the planets and they'll set their own state up. But they're just letting this roll on a bit long. But it helps tell a story, I suppose. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, it, it was it was a little weird. Uh, I agree. Um, I just, I, you know, they just talk about how they were so, and maybe it's, maybe, I mean, I'm assuming that the Imperium came down to the surface. And remember, they have they haven't had war. They don't have crime. Everybody's happy. They got that intoxicating Musk. I'm wondering if just completely whether... irrelevant. You think so? <laughs> yeah, we. I think we've seen it. I think you know um, the Interex. That's true. I'm yeah, just you go if they back show to that. And then There's... people are like we're trying, we're trying, and you're down there, and that Musk sort of get, it permeates you. Okay, well, maybe I, it, shouldn't, I, it shouldn't affect the Space Marines too much. Um, I think when you look at Horace meeting the Interex. Right. Um, it was a month before he started to get agitated, and Abaddon saying that they're not going to do it. Let's kill him. And uh, Horace is going, no, no, no. I want to bring them in, but I am. Yes, you're right. Something's going on. We need to sort it out. That was that was a month. That's true. That, um, yeah. So so this feels very different from that. The way that was told. 
Right. Um, and the way that Horace dealt with it, to me, you know, the Imperium's not a nice thing. Even no, what they're trying to do, it's really not a nice thing. So to to give a planet a whole year with all the resources that were around it that could be out conquering, and this is, you know, this is only halfway through the crusade. You know, we've only found um, the line. It's only a year, uh, they've done the training or whatever, it's a year or so on. It's, you know, the crusade's at its height. They need all their ships out conquering planets. But. Right. So, basically... Um, we get to the new chapter, and it's so funny that their leader is there. This uh, Lord High Exalter shows up, and Nemo looks at Sahara and goes, 70 million people missing. I think this guy <laughs> ate them, because apparently he's enormous. Yeah, that, would, that really wouldn't fit in on um, back on Caliban, would it? Right. <laughs> yeah, because there was, yeah, I mean, everybody was, everyone had to scratch an existence to have some big, huge... I mean, I, yeah, I don't think there was one person described as being even heavy. I mean, the I, one guy was his, their one friend who was the space marine who was just bulky, like muscular. Yeah, yeah, he yeah. was, yeah. He was a big guy. He was a unit yeah. rather than a, a fat guy. <laughs> right. yeah. So Zahariel has chosen to lead an honor guard for the Zarashi dele- delegation, and he does not like these things. He's uncomfortable, but he does his duty. duty. <laughs> uh, the Lord High Exalter is almost two meters tall. And he seemed round, like he seemed that wide as well. And I'm just like, wow, really? So, I mean, the guy's just about six and a half feet tall. And he seems about six and a half feet wide, which seems like, oh, God. Um, They all dressed and lived simply except for these gold masks. Um, And they're generally very reserved except during their festivals, and one of which is happening now, so there's a lot of people, you know, being a little less reserved, being more fun celebrating. Um, the first thing you notice about the Lord High Exalter is he wears no mask. So he's up yes. there, you know, this big heavy who, I mean, I didn't hear anybody described as fat on this planet either. So to describe this guy as very tall, morbidly obese and not wearing a mask. Uh, he, I mean, he stands out like, you know. Yeah. He's like a dove among crows. I mean, it's just, you can't. Not notice him, you know. Uh, he meets the lion and tells him they want to be compliant. And this is interesting because um, they were bringing the, the they were illu- they were talking about bringing illumination or illuminating their people with the imperial truth. And he says, "Oh yeah, we want to be compliant. Illumination. That's a good word. We want to bring light to everybody." And he, uh, it's like, well, why would you be bringing light? It's like, okay, what's what what's going on here? Yeah. Uh, there's obviously something weird. This guy is odd. That's at that best you could say about him is he's odd. Uh, Zahariel is on the deployment deck for invincible reason, and most everybody's gone except for the basic workers. Uh, but he wants to go over everything again. You know, that's he's just being thorough. You know, um, you know, if we do have to go down and do everything, I just want to make sure my group is ready. Yeah, he's hey, he's a good soldier. Uh, while he's looking around, Luther arrives. And uh, they show up and they're checking out this Saroshi ship that came up with the Lord High Exalter. Uh, let's see. Zahariel looked over. Uh, take a look at this shuttle, huh? Zahariel looked over the battered old shuttle, having had little interest in it once it had disgorged its fat cargo. Doesn't look like much, does it? Said Luther, walking across the deck. Zahariel followed the lion's second in command and said, apparently the Mechanicum Adept scanned it on the way in. They said it was of an obsolete design well-known from before the Unification Wars on Terra, so they immediately lost interest. 
Ah, uh, well, they're immune to the romance of history, Zahariel, said Luther, walking around her battered shuttle with its oversized engines and bulbous front section. I mean, it's clearly thousands of years old. It must have taken generations of mechanics to keep it in a working state of repair. Then it should be in a museum, said Zahariel, as Luther ducked beneath the stubby wing and examined the underside. Perhaps, agreed Luther, it's the last functioning relic of an earlier age. It might be the only vehicle in Sarash capable of trans-atmospheric travel. So why bother using it? Why not accept the lion's offer of a stormbird? Who knows, said Luther, frowning as he saw something puzzling. Perhaps the Sarashi kept running because they knew they would need it in the future. Need it for what? And that's when he doesn't answer and he comes out and he looks all pale. Yeah. Luther looks deathly pale and he's like, what's wrong? He's like, nothing. In fact, you know what? The, just You need to go back to your... Do go, stuff. Yeah, you need to go back to your battle brothers. Get out of here. You need to get stuff. Don't worry about this. We shouldn't be talking about this. And as he leaves, he looks back, and Luther's just standing there staring at the shuttle. And that scene ends, and it cuts over to um, the Lord High Exalter. And this is interesting. Yeah, I mean, before we move on, okay. there, I mean, actually, reading, looking back as we read over it, the lion, the lion reacts much the same way to Horace here. It's like, yep, the guy's coming up to talk, and we've got that little bit of he's bringing his own shuttle. Why is he not accepting our shuttle? Okay, fair enough, whatever. That's a bit weird. But the lions said, you know, everything will be going down at the end of these talks, one way or another. No, They're what? coming into the Imperium. <laughs> but what that, it- that's why Zariel's there. He's like, we're going to drop. <laughs> so the lion's reaction is m- much like Horace's. Maybe there wasn't that person of said stature to make that decision beforehand but at least oh. we see them yeah the, the reasons Ariel's uh blah 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 blah, blah. yeah because um, what's his name the ranking guy that shang khan was the ranking officer but he was not even close to being the primary no, so maybe maybe that's the reason i mean because zariel's there knowing that he and the rest of the dark angels would soon be deploying to the service of uh, sarosh regardless of the outcome of the talks with the lion and the Lord High Exalter. Yeah, because so, if it went well, they were going to the party, and if it didn't, there wasn't going to be no, a party. They were going to start the party. <laughs> so, so yeah, so we've got that. So that kind of reassures me a little bit from the other Maybe thing. that's what it is, uh, yeah. That, okay. But then you've, you've really got to worry about the lion's thoughts here because he's dealing with a space marine. Uh, and he should be able to turn around to a space marine and if something's wrong, say something. Right. So it's a bit of a... Yeah, so, yeah, Luther's reaction here is odd. But yes. so that goes by, and we go back now, and the the Lord High Exalter is asking about the height of the commanders. Yes. And this is interesting because he goes, so wait a minute. Do you just put your smallest people in the high? Uh, it, it, does height have something to do with your rank? Which, okay, it's a weird question, but it's a legit when you explain it because he's like, well, the guys, you know, you're bigger than your Astartes. But the guys that are in charge of the Astartes are a little smaller than them. And your guys who are in charge of your fleet, your admirals and your captains, I mean, they're the normal they're humans. Even they're even Yeah, they're even smaller, which is interesting to, like, that he would you know, think that maybe size is something culturally that has to do with it. But or what is or maybe, maybe it's something like, um, more like um, bees, like you've got the worker drone, uh, you know, right. certain size, and then the brutes up front who aren't thinking and... So he's maybe he's looking at that more more of a are you breeding these guys to fight whilst the clever ones make all the decisions behind them? Well, I'm wondering if he's su- subtly insulting the lion as well. Yeah, there might be a bit in that. The lion's the biggest guy there, so the small guys are all the guys who are really in charge and the smart ones, right? <laughs> no, yeah, asking yeah. the biggest yeah. guy there, yeah, sure. asking the biggest guy there, 
the guy who has been presented to you to the one being the one in charge if it's the small guys are the ones who are the smartest and the ones in charge. So, yes. I mean, you know, take it for what you will. They don't, there's nothing said about it ever afterwards, but, it, you know, it could be. Um, he noticed that they are all, you're all changed. Oh, you're all different. Um, and then he starts talking very frankly here with him. He seems very critical of compliance and, and, and talks to them about their secularism. And the lion looks at him and goes, you, you sound like you got an issue. You know, I appreciate us this frank talk because it seems we haven't had frank talk before. And he goes, no, no, we haven't because we've been avoiding talking to you guys and we've been putting it off as long as we can. But now that you've put a date on us, we have to make a decision. So, yeah, this is it. Now, they start hack, r- ragging on his secularism. And he's like, wait, you're not religious. You guys don't have any signs of this. And it turns out they're very religious um, hold on. Where's this part? And this because as soon as he says we're very religious, the lion turns around. Why didn't I know about this? Which is just fantastic. Yeah. Because when the lion, you know, our temples are in wild places, in the forests and the caves, where the messengers messengers of our God speak to their chosen representatives, the ascending. We are a pious people. Our society is founded on the divine mandate granted by the Ascendim. We have followed their dictates for more than a thousand years, and we have achieved the perfect society. Why am I hearing this now? Snapped the lion. Yeah. <laughs> He's like looking, and everyone's looking at him like, oh, crap. I mean, you know, you hid this from us? Yeah. You know, it, you know, it said everything's hidden. Faith is a private matter. He talks about their gods. Uh, I love it. the lion. This is foolishness," said the lion, growing angry. "You're a rational people from a technologically advanced society. You must be able to see the superstition for what it is. You showed your true faces too early," said the Lord High Exalter. When your scouts revealed themselves to us, they spoke eruditely of how I'm sorry. They spoke eruditely of how you had thrown down religion and damned it all as childish superstition. From that moment, we knew you were evil. No society can claim to be righteous if it does not acknowledge the primacy of divine power. Secular faith is false truth. When we heard that your emperor preaches there are only false gods, we knew his real nature at once. He's a liar demon, a creature of falsehood, sent by dark powers to lead mankind astray. Oh, this guy's a dead man. I'm surprised he got... I honestly was shocked he got that much out of his mouth. Yeah. Once he called the emperor a liar demon, I expected him uh, to die right there. I mean, there's there's confidence in those words, and you're wondering what's backing them up at this point. Well, um, and the fact and is, he's not. No, I, re- I really like wrong. it. No, he's not. It's, you know, the emperor's gamble of, or what we think is a gamble of, keeping the dark gods secret so that no one will worship them. Yeah, backfires because you know he's seen as a liar because they are worshipped. It's too late for these guys. But um, I did like the line and the part of it. Um, Occasionally, whether through ignorance or because they are controlled by unsuitable regime, the people of a rediscovered world choose to oppose us. It makes no difference. We have come to rescue you. Whether or not you wish to be rescued is hardly material to the outcome. (laughs) (laughs) This is fantastic. Listen, we're here to rescue you, and that's that. You need rescuing. But this conversation has come up time and time before. If your friend was drowning and you go to save him and he tries to stop you, you save him anyway. Yeah. So it's it's really interesting, but they're not wrong about the. I mean, 
No, absolutely. There's, there's obviously there's an extreme opinion there, but no, they're saying you know, their secular faith is a lie. There are things out there. None of this is wrong. It's just they also happen to be servants of chaos, and you know what the hell. <laughs> you know, that's you got to watch out for that too. So meanwhile, this is going on, and Zahariel is going back to his men, and he's just thinking about how the Luther, how Luther was acting. Uh, and then he starts hearing in his head that don't trust them. Don't turn your back on them. And as he hears it, he gets this wave of nausea, which he shouldn't get because he's a Stardes and they don't get nauseous. So he realizes this is some sort of a thing from, you know, like his librarian sense or yeah, warp um, sense or whatever. Something yeah, makes I mean, him sick and tells him, "You no, go back. I don't even, yeah. I, I wondered if that, because um, that nausea is also from the reaction of Luther, because he started to work out something's wrong here. Okay, they've bought their own shuttle. It doesn't add up. They're doing this. It doesn't add up. Something's wrong. It doesn't add up. Luther knows um, something's wrong because he Luther's held. Yeah, he held the f- man whose face was held in mind's eye. Luther's. Uh, he saw pain there and sadness and years of living in the shadow of another. So that was kind of the strong bit of kind of like, he's sitting there thinking, oh, no, you know. Do you think, is, okay, is maybe his ability, that his ability to tap into those psychic powers? Bit of empathy, yeah. Because, I mean, he does, I mean, you know, we've talked. He does this, this quite a lot, yeah. yeah. It's written about quite a lot that he can seem to just see those little looks and things like that. So I think we have to be led to believe that there's a, 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 a level of empathy from yeah. his psychic ability. Because at times he seems to be projecting onto others. Like there's times, like I said, in the beginning, he, we don't even know if he's reliable because he keeps saying how, well, Nemiel said this, so he must feel this way. But we don't, you know, you don't know that, you know. But yeah. now he's, he seems, uh, you know, and maybe it's just after he's got his Astartes training and he's learned yeah, to focus it. He'd have, have been trained, yeah, as well as, as a librarian. So it's, maybe it's more refined. But so he's like, we got to go back. And nobody's there now. Like, even the skeleton crew is just gone. And he's like, this isn't right. And then he looks at this. And as he's looking at the ship, he figures it out. There's none of those, uh, like the heat plates that are on the space shuttle. Yeah. There's nothing. This ship cannot reenter the atmosphere. It will burn up. It does not have anything to keep it from burning up. And this is a one-way trip. And as he's looking at it, he realizes that the nose... Of the ship, that big nose, the blunt nose on it, was not an original part of the design. It was something added on. And as he goes and starts digging at it, looking at it, that's when Luther pops out. And uh, he comes down. It's a weapon, an atomic warhead, I think. And Zahariel spuns around, ready to, ready to fight. And it's Luther. And he says, an atomic warhead? Yes, said Luther, coming closer and peering into the opened access panel. I think the whole shuttle is nothing but one gigantic mi- or one giant missile. You knew of this? Why didn't you say anything? Luther turned away from him. His shoulders slumped as though in defeat. He turned back to Zahariel, who was shocked to see the tears in his commander's eyes. I almost did, Zahariel, said Luther. I wanted to. But then I thought of what would be mine if I didn't. The Legion, Command, Caliban. It would all be mine. And I would no longer have to share it with someone whose shadow obscures everything I do. And I was talking about how, you know, he would have been great in a different age, but it's, you know, all of this is going, but instead it goes to my brother. You have no idea how galling it is to be the greatest man of an age and have that taken away from you in an instant. Uh, I never realized. No one did. Not even I did. Not fully. Not until I saw this shuttle. Uh, 
Okay, so you get this whole thing, and it's, I mean, all the things that you've wondered about Luther that Zahario's been thinking the whole time, you know, how does he deal with it? How does he put up with everything sort of being outstripped? And it turns out he's not dealing with it very well. And it's just, I mean, I think he's a little delusional if he thinks that he's going to get the Legion, though. The Legion, um, Command, Caliban, like, if the Why not? If he's they, number two. Well, oh, I guess. Would they? I mean, but would they put... Second in command. Who? What else would they do with it? Uh, I guess you're right. Maybe, maybe not. Don't know. Yeah, I mean, we don't know, but I just... I, the, the guy who's not even in Astartes, I just, I'm surprised that they would if, think they would... If, if the Lion uh, went to Terra by himself, then Luther would be given control of the Legion while the Lion's away. That's true. So, I mean, whether it would happen or not, the logical sense is that yeah. Luther would then take over. But so yeah, the I mean, orders, I, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, it's, um, it's the best bit for me was, you know, I, all I had to do was walk away. Everything I wanted would be mine. And it's like, why did you come back here? I've, I've ordered everyone out. I walked away, but then I knew I couldn't do it. Yeah. And it's like, oh, Luther, awesome. You're back. He's had his moment of weakness. Luther's had his lowest point where he's realized that I don't have to kill anyone, but I can allow someone to die. And everything I've ever wanted would be mine. Yeah. I don't and have to kill you. I just it. don't have to save you. Yeah. Yeah. And, he, and he's turned around and he's rejected it. And you're like, yeah, he's the man. Luther's the man. Yeah. I mean, I got all excited the first time I read this. I'm like, all right. And then they're they're trying to fix this. Um, now, <laughs> but now they're going to try to stop the bomb. Meanwhile, they go back and the lion looks at him and tells him, you've gone too far. And he's got his hand on his sword, you know, at this point. Um, and he's like, no, you do. You're the abominations. And he's calling them names. I only bear your presence because I've been granted the honor of pronouncing the judgment of my people upon you. And he starts calling them evil and their falsehoods. And uh, the lion just screams at him enough. And then <laughs> he starts doing something weird with his hands, like touching the things on his body. And then he tells him, I spit on your emperor. And I spit on you, Lionel Johnson. And as he reaches out to do this, you're not worthy. You are. And I mean, uh, finally. <laughs> it's like, at what point was this? You knew this was coming. And yeah. Uh, it's finally got to the point. There's no going back. He's, he's lost it. <laughs> I mean, okay. First, when he called the emperor a demon, I'm like, he's a dead man. Now yeah. he's like, oh, no, you guys are rotten. Uh, you know, I spit on your emperor. Gotta wait. I spit on you. Still not. I'm like, okay. Wait, boom. Finally, he starts doing something, and the lion cuts him in half. <laughs> and uh, But he still d- did that little, whatever his hand gesture was, touching the little spots on him, and he was reaching up to touch the thing on his forehead. And the lion cuts him in half, and then it cuts back to Zahariel and, and Luther, and they're trying to pull this bomb apart. And all of a sudden, it starts to light and blink and flash. And it's like, damn, said Luther. <laughs> it's like, oh, crap. Because how do we stop it? I, I don't know. <laughs> no. No, what's going on? So that's the end of that chapter. Um, so now we jump into chapter four. Now it's getting exciting. Okay. Um, the light sequence starts going faster. They don't know how to stop it. The engines are starting to to, to the engines start up. They're starting yeah. to build up. So the 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 heat's building up. Um, you know, Luther's trying to get in there. He's getting burned from the heat. Zaharyl jumps and sends a warning that the shuttle's a bomb. 
Um, they're both getting burned. He goes over to deck control and he starts to seal the blast doors. And as he seals the blast doors, now he's trying to shut down the integrity field, which is what is like a force field. It's sort yeah. of like in Star Wars when they got the open ships in space for the shuttles to come in on the Death Star. Well, uh, yeah, if, if the if there's any damage to the outside of the ship, you can or you know they can shut it off. Yeah, and maintain the integrity of the uh, atmosphere on the inside. Right. So he's trying to shut that down, and uh, as he's trying to shut it down, he's like, he's like, "Come on, hurry!" He's like smashing it to finish. He, you know, basically, you know, clamps his feet down, clamps his, uh, clamps everything together. And, uh, you know, stops himself uh, from getting sucked out. And then that thing goes and it just vents everything in the space, including the ship. Yeah. And uh, it blows up out there. And, um, you know, it uh, right outside the ship. So it rocks the ship. It causes damage. And Luther looks at him and tells him he's lucky, you know, that the Sarashi nearly took out the entire command hierarchy there. But he managed to stop it. You know, um, you know, Zahariel is the one who saved the day here. Yes, he uh, did. Luther uh, reports to Bridge Command and tells him what happened. And this is this is a great part. I loved this bit on page three seventy in my book. Um, let's see. That's correct, Bridge Command confirmed Luther. The breach was the work of Sarashi delegation brought onto the ship half an hour ago. The Sarashi shuttle on the embarkation deck was rigged with an atomic warhead. Any Sarashi forces left on board are to be arrested immediately. Lethal force is authorized. Luther spared a look at the destruction around him and whispered to Zahariel, as of approximately one minute ago, we are at war with the Sarashi people. I was just like, yes. He's back in the game. Yep. And then the I, lion comes I, I, I liked, over. Um, yeah, I like the way that Nothing in that part, Zariel, all he thought of was the lion's going to die. There was no thought about the damage to the ship and the millions of people on it and everything else. It shows you how single-minded the space marines can be. It's like, this is to kill the Primarch. We'll have to do everything to stop it killing the Primarch. And there's not even a second moment's thought about anything, anything else. It's like, can't let it kill the Primarch. <laughs> And again, we see that time and again through the series. Yeah, exactly. Um, now, the lion gets on, and he's like, I want a strategic meeting with all commanders and seconds on the Invincible Reason in a half an hour. So they get on there, and you find out that throughout the fleet, the little groups of Sarashi that are on there, they were suddenly attacked by people that they thought were, you know, that they thought were their friends. Yeah, yeah. Um, it turns out the inhabitants of Sarash had rejected the impairment, everything it stood for. They rejected it with great violence. This is interesting, though. Uh, it's the, you know they attacked the imperial army and navy personnel. Um, some were more, some were murdered, but a lot of them were just disappeared. They yeah. were abducted, and nobody knows where they went. Which is like, ugh, that's not good. Um, then yeah, there's got, a, a lot of people all at once, all at the same time. Yeah, which which suggests there's something. Um, Either in the signal to the um, to the bomb or, or some kind of psychic connection as well. Right, but either, either way, it's quite a coordinated effort. Yeah, I mean, they go after the Lord Governor Elect in his in his uh, in his residence, and they just yeah. burn that place to the ground, and they just chop these people into pieces, hacked to death with axes and knives as the crowd bayed for blood. Their bodies were spat on and dismembered, and then condemned to the fire. 
Um, the people, a few people escaped. When these survivors told the tale, it would be clear that the entire population of the planet had exploded in a frenzy of bloodletting, every bit as sudden and dramatic as the blast that tore through his reason. They would talk of primal savagery that descended on the people of Sarash without warning. One minute they had been normal, charming selves. The next they had erupted into shocking, ferocious violence. Yet, at the same time, there was never the suggestion that this violence was in any way wild or out of control. The opposite held true. It was a terrifying calmness in the manner that they went about their killings. It's almost like they were brainwashed or their, or their minds were just taken over in mass. They yeah. just stopped what they were doing, grabbed weapons, and started hacking people apart. That's almost more scary. Yes. Yes, doing complete soberness, as it were. And yeah. then it, yeah, he even says at the end there would be, never be any definite proof of communication. So it probably is a psychic kind of message. So that's quite a, a thing to have that going or, or, or otherworldly. Exactly. Uh, message as well. So all that added in is quite a yeah, grim, so, weird circumstances. Yeah. And then we get back to the bridge of the Invincible Reason, and it's crazy. Like, people are panicking. They're calling all over. The lion arrives, and Zaharil actually steps back. He's never seen the lion look so angry. Like, he's afraid. It's just at the look on the lion's face. He's like, oh, man. Um, there's mutiny on a bunch of ships. Uh, the Arbalest, the mutineers managed to fire on the bold conveyor although it now seems all under control. Uh, but, I mean, stuff has just been going on. So they go to this conference room, and all the important dark angels are there. Um, and then the astropath, Mistress Argenta, is there. And she tells them that these people that the Sarashi are worshipping are Xenos that live in the warp. So she's like, it's coming definitely from the warp. There must, I mean, they assume, there's something in there. It's got to be an alien, right? I mean, what else would you assume it is? Yes. Well, I, mean, so, of, I, mean, I mean, we know what it is, but none of them are going to assume it's anything, no, um, you know. It's, it's, conf- yeah, it's confirmed that these are things from the war, but we, we know as demons, as you said. Right. Um, kind of fitting in with what Horace told Loken, but that was a big secret from Horace, um, so, which happens after this. Right. It was all kind of, you know, okay, I really shouldn't tell you this. Yes, we know there's stuff that lives in the warp, right. but it's just a Xenos race. That's all it is. Um, and then here we've got them talking about it quite openly right? Uh, with one whole legion, um, which is quite interesting. Well, it's interesting Especially, the astropaths can tell what's there, though. And she, you know, the lion just said, tell me what's going on. Listen, there's something in there, and they're trying to bring it out. Yeah. And I love how Zaharil's like, if such a thing is possible, and Luther gives him a look like, oh, and he's just like, it shuts him down. This is not the time to be throwing out your doubts and your nonsense. Oh, it was just, this is great. Uh, but then Brother Librarian is Raphael. He's got an experiment. He's, he's got an idea. Because can we stop it? There's like, we have to act. We can kill them all. You can blow up the planet. It's going on in the warp. So we, you can't just, you can't just shoot them and stop it. No. Which okay, so it takes away the first thing. So uh, the brother librarian Israfael has an experimental electropsychic pulse bomb. Uh, it will it will release a it's I guess it's like an, an EMP for warp energy. Yeah, psychic, for psychic power. Yeah, psychic. Yeah. Uh, just, yeah, it's an EMP. What the M is just electro except of an electromagnetic pulse, electropsychic pulse. Yeah. So it has to be detonated as close to the source as possible, and you have to have a depth there to focus its energy. Quite lucky they were working on one of them, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, let's okay. Well, hey, I'm I mean, not, I mean, it, it's not designed to do what the job they want it to do. You no. know, they're hoping that they can interrupt the the, the energy's building, yeah. which is fair enough. It's but. one of these. We have this thing, and if I take it, we might be able to use it this way. Yeah. Um, we'll need a few hours, and the lines like go do it, and then we get to chapter twenty three. Twenty three. Uh, is on the lions team. Zahariel is not. Luther's not there. Yes. Which I'm just okay. What's going? You know, we don't know what's going on, but we know Luther's not even there. They left the matter unmarked, unremarked, seeing the lion's hooded expression when Sir Hadriel had mentioned their second in command. So there's tension there. Yep. Uh, uh, Atticus and Eliath are, and the chapter master are all with Zahariel. Uh, and Atticus uh, questions a need or the need for the danger. Is this, you know, he's not, it's not about the fighting. It's about the danger. Uh, so there's a, it's a weird sort of thing he's talking about here. Hold on. Let me find that 383. Um, oh, what is it? What does he say? I'm not questioning the need for danger. I merely ask whether we should base our strategy in this theater on the workings of an experimental device. If the bomb doesn't work, what then? I don't want to face an enemy with Elias' good look as our only fallback weapon. <laughs> so he's, you know, he's sitting there. He's like, you know, we're always in danger, but it, is this, you know... Are we? Is this a good idea? Is this plan any good? Yes. Uh, he gets sort of chewed up by the chapter master here a little bit. Uh, Hadariel's Hadariel. I've been calling him Haradriel. God bless America. I've been screwing up his name the whole name. So Hadariel says, "We're dark angels. We're the first legion, the warriors of the emperor." You ask whether we should trust ourselves to the science of the Mechanicum and the wisdom of our brother librarian. I ask you, how can we not? Is not science the Imperium's guiding light? Is it not our bedrock? Is it not the stone on which the foundations of our new society have been built? So, yes, we will trust their science. We'll trust our lives to it, just as we trust ourselves and all humanity to the guidance of the Emperor, beloved of all. Oh, I'm sorry, I meant no offense. You, That's why you, he's a commander. Yep. I meant no offense. You caused none. You simply asked a question, and there's no harm in that. If ever a time comes when the dark angels see reason to avoid questions, we will have lost our souls. Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, if there's ever a time to stop asking questions. Lion never stops asking questions. He just doesn't let anybody ask him any, so I guess we'll just figure that out for what it is. (laughs) Um. So they have their weapon, their device, and they're going to go down there. Uh, and now Zahariel's team with uh, Chapter Master and Edison Lyon and with uh, Brother Librarian, their mission is to drop in on drop pods and deliver the Brother Librarian and his bomb to the place. Uh, Zahariel's not afraid. He's excited. He's been made for this. Uh, they basically get told uh, there, are no, there will not be survivors to this mission. The Sarashi will not be allowed to surrender. There is. Oh, no. No. This, the, the, the time for that is over. They're dead. If there's a living Sarashi, it's your job to put an end to that nonsense. This is a mission of annihilation. Um, they jumped in on jump packs, which I thought was so cool because those were the Space Marines when I first saw the models that I thought were the coolest thing. And then I never hear anybody like using them. <laughs> In the game. And I'm like, oh, this looks so cool. They can kind of fly in on, heck, the Space Marine game, uh, the one I have for my Xbox. Yeah, it's brilliant. 
they drop in on those. Gen- we're not supposed to use what because uh, uh, the ultramarines. And he's like, well, that yeah. doesn't follow. What is it? The uh, the codex. The codex. Well, listen, I'm yeah. not worried about the codex. I'm worried about getting in there. So they go flying in on jump packs and stuff. I'm like that's awesome. Uh, but they get in there and nobody's shooting at them. Nobody's trying to stop. And there's nobody there. Uh, now, so they're heading towards the goal. And as they get closer, they're getting closer and they're closer. Now they start to see blood on the ground and like just stuff just abandoned, like weapons and stuff just laying there. And that's when Zahariel realized this place smells like a charnel house. He can just smell blood and more blood. And then there's a giant lizard monster attacks them. What the heck? Do, am I missing what this is? Or do we just not seen this type of a chaos thing before? Yeah, just a big lizard monster. <laughs> okay, just a big. <laughs> Again, there are there are uh, you know a multitude times the number of things we haven't seen come out of the warp compared sure. to the ones we have. So it's going to happen a fair amount. Even when you get to um, god specific um, creatures that are obviously marked for for one or other the gods, there there are lots of others that aren't talked about. So okay. can, basically, it, it's just an excuse for a writer to write what they want and fits the story well. Oh, nice. Uh, this thing gets to Edius and it's, it spits like acid on his helmet, uh, and, cl- and the claws just go through the power armor like it's paper. They're really fast. I like when they rip; like he has trouble getting the helmet off because it's melting, yeah. and it must be melting fast because as they pull it off, it pulls some of his skin with it. Like it got through part of it, and his skin was melting to the helmet. It's like, ugh, that's nasty. Uh, and then they go, "We thought this was a human world. That was our mistake. That was our first mistake." You know, thinking that this was a human world, which is yeah. just like, well, what exactly is this then? What are these people under the masks? How did they grow here if suddenly 8% of their population has gone missing? I mean, what's what the And they don't tell us. It's like, what the hell's going on in this planet? Like, we, <laughs> we didn't know exactly what was going on on the weird planet that Fulgrim went after, but we had we knew we knew what they were worshipping. It was, it, it, yeah, it was more overt. This yeah. is more more subversive. Because now there's other things underground. What, what are they taking these people to eat them or something? I mean, it's just there's so many questions, but I guess it's neither here nor there. Um, so these attacks get more and more frequent as they get towards the center of the settlement, although none of the Astartes are dying at this point anymore. They're, they're ready for what's going on, and even though the attacks are coming, now that, they're re- now that they know what's coming at them, they're ready. Um, the lion shows up, and now it, the fighting. Uh, one creature attacks... And this creature attacks Zaharyl and seems to take a swipe at him and seems to go through his armor. And I thought he meant he destroyed his armor, but it actually described it. It felt cold, like it was going through his skin. And it reminded him of when he met the uh, Watchers in the dark, that cold, sickly feeling like that. Yeah. yeah. So So the beast was just as unnatural as whatever the Watchers had been set to guard. Right. And so he stops and he goes, wait a minute. And puts away his gun and pulls out that sword made from the tooth of the Calibanite lion. Yeah. And uh, he, this thing just cuts through anything. And it's interesting. He, like, cuts off an arm, and the arm, instead of falling to the ground, the arm turns to jelly and falls down. Like, I keep yeah. picturing, like, ectoplasm from Ghostbusters. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, exactly. Uh, and so as they're cutting them up, they're, they're, you know, they're not being sustained by warp energy, so it just turns into that stuff, you know. Uh, and the battle's Using over. Using the tools of the warp against the warp. Exactly. Dangerous path to crawl. Ooh, oh, and he is. Uh, he's the one doing it, too. There you go. I don't know. The battle's over in moments, and the lion wants this shuttle and bomb on the ground now. 
And they're like, we're sitting up here. No, we're going underground. We're going to find the source. And you go down underground, and there's Rihanna, and she's tied up on this, like tied to a stone slab. But it's like upright. She's standing upright tied to this thing. Uh, she was drugged. She vaguely remembers being like passed around from guys and moved from place to place and prepped up and tied to this slab. And uh, uh, Dusan is there, and he takes off her blindfold, and he tells her she will be the Melachim. Uh, she will be the vessel for it to come into the world. And then uh, you get this great, what are you going to do to me? Though she could not see his face, Rihanna had the distinct impression that Dusan was smiling behind the immobile surface of the mask. We're going to defile you, he said, pointing upwards. Your impure fresh flesh will be home to one of our angels. She followed his gaze and wept tears of blood as she saw the angel of Sarashi. Okay, that's weird. That's just, I mean, what the hell? I mean, I get the fear. I get that. Why was she crying tears of blood? Like, I don't understand that as a reaction, you know? It's I just mean, the, I, the effect of chaos in that area. It's seeping guess, through. Yeah. Uh, poor Rihanna. You thought it was bad enough with Chris Brown, and now she's getting this happening. So... I've been resisting making any joke. Okay, I was going to resist until I sat here as I'm reading this and realized that not only is she, but she's into music. If she hadn't <laughs> been into the Sarashi yeah. music, I'd have let it go. But she's Rihanna the Remembrancer musician, so I'm taking the joke. I was trying to find the line where um, the Dark Angels do their battle cry. Um Oh, for here we go. Lion, for Luther. For Luther, for Caliban. No mention of the Emperor. Oh, I didn't think about that. Ah, which is always an interesting one. Ah. Yeah, a lot of others will have for the Emperor, for their Primarch, for whoever, for the Legion or something like that. Well, they are still pretty new and they've been bred to their, for their whole time. I mean, that's been their battle <sighs> cry. The uh, Lion, yeah. the Luther, Caliban was the cry they were doing when they were going to battle on Caliban. The yeah. first mission out... Yeah, maybe, maybe. I'm just, a I'm just slack. putting it out there. I'm, I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm just, I'm playing devil's advocate and looking at it from the other end. Absolutely. All right, so let's get into here. Last chapter before the aftermath, chapter 24. So they start down into the mine, and the warp is physically oppressive to the psychers. Like, they're feeling sick. Like, they can feel this pressure. Uh, the lion's leading them. Uh, they know that the Sarashi are trying to be some new type of Xenos through the warp. So they get to the part where there is this massive, massive cavern, and the enormous space vanished into the distance, left and right, illuminated by glaring strip lights hanging from the cavern's roof. Steel walkways crossed an immense chasm that was filled almost to the brim with dead bodies, millions of dead bodies. It was impossible to say how many... For the depth of the chasm was beyond sight, but Sahara remembered Kyrgyz of the White Scars talking of a figure in the regions of 70 million missing people. Could this be the remains of so many? It seemed inconceivable that so many dead could have been secreted here, but the evidence was right before him. Thrown alive, swore the line. How? The missing people. So many. Now, Nemil, just, oh my God. Dude, think about that. A cavern full of 70 million corpses. Thank God this was a Slanesh thing and not Nurgle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know? <laughs> but well, I mean, yeah, uh, 70 oh. million probably sacrifices. Oh, yeah, whatever. They're, oh, it's just crazy, though. 
So that's 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 huge, humongous numbers. Seventy million is a lot. I can't. I I cannot picture it. Like I literally no, cannot. No. I, well, it's it's pretty much the whole population of um, the UK. Wow! In one 70, big 70 million cavernous pit, just piled yeah. up underneath these guys as they're walking across it. Wow! Wow! And they don't burn them. They don't get rid of them. They're just keeping them just here. Dumped. Yeah. yeah. Slowly, I guess the ones on the bottom are probably you know mulching up. Yeah. Oh, Maybe it's, it's compost. And think about it. There's 70 million missing in the last 10 years. How long has this been going on? Seriously, exactly. how much have they just been dissolving on the bottom? And just, <laughs> you know, I mean, oh, oh, it's so wrong. So Rihanna wakes up, and she sees the host of the Melahim, and she starts, oh, she starts crying blood. The ceremony begins, and this thing starts to cross over, and Zaharil and the other librarians just, like, almost fall over. Like, the psychic blast from this thing starting to come through the warp is just... They've never faced anything with that sort of psychic power before. And, of course, this is one tendril. This is one hair of one tendril of, you know, the slanishy power shoving its way through if you read the fluff from the army books and the codexes. Um, And it's starting to cross over, and the psychic energy is just crazy. Zahariel can barely move on. Nemiel comes and basically, you know, once again, and this was nice, though. I like this. Nemiel looks back, and Zahariel can't move, and so what does he do? He goes back and grabs his arm. And just yep. starts pulling them along. Come on, let's go. The two of them, even though Zaharil in their last meeting was a total tool and lapped him and told him he should quit, when he can't make it, Nemiel's there for him, coming back and pulling him along. Even yeah, even if it's awkward. Yeah. Those 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 bronze of uh, bronze of blood. Yeah. Uh, are strong. So they get there and they see all these guys around Rihanna chanting and the lions start shooting them. Uh, but Zaharil somehow inherently knows that that's not going to do anything. In fact, here is his, uh, the masked figures made no attempt at defense, and Zaharil was seized with a sudden conviction as to why, as he looked into the agonized eyes of the woman bound to the upright slab. Her face was stretched in a soundless scream, her eyes empty and glassy as though filled with black ink. They always turn solid black when you're getting possessed. I love that image. Dark power floated in her eyes, and Zaharil looked into her. Something inhuman looked back. Zaharil raised the pistol, but even as the monstrous essence of the creature on the roof of the cave began to pour into its host, something of the woman surfaced for the briefest second, and a moment of connection passed between them, more profound than Zaharil had ever experienced before or ever would again. She simply said, yes. Zaharil nodded and pressed down the trigger. So he, he shoots her with the bolter, and she blows up, like every human does when you shoot him with a bolter. Yep. Um... Now, the lion looks over and says, what did you do? And he goes, what I needed to do. But she doesn't quite explode. This was really cool. So he shoots her with the bolter. She blows up. Chunks start flying everywhere, which I already thought was weird because normally they describe it as a red mist. But she blows up into (laughs) chunks. And the chunks stop. Like, they start exploding outward, and then they stop and start pulling back together again. Like, the demon's like, nah, sorry, not happening. (laughs) I'm I'm here now, and that's not happening. Uh, tentacles come out like of little like li- like little rips in the warp, like just little holes pop up in space. In reality, yeah, yeah, and just tentacles start popping through and attacking them. Um, and they have to hold off until this device can be detonated. Yeah, and they they're struggling. They've got a prime up there. Yeah, 
and they're and still, they're still struggling. That shows you, like, again, this this is like nothing we see talked about in the books. This creature, it's it's there, but it's extremely powerful. This is not just a greater demon. This is something. Is this it, is, yeah, this, bigger, this is yeah, this is this is a, a, a power. This is like Cthulhu esque. Um, I mean, for, for yeah, lack of a you know, essentially, this, yeah, yeah. So. Once again, another thing whose name we don't know, but this is like this is a named character. This is a Bellacor. This is someone beyond that. This is something weird coming through. Um, Zahariel realizes that these things are like the monsters of Caliban, so he starts using his lion tooth sword again, and they just you know they can't stand up to to that. It's they're just going apart. Uh, the device finally goes off, and as Raphael and Zahariel are able to focus that energy and channel it, and they just basically that psychic pulse, they manage to focus it to it. Uh, it, 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 it nullifies the the powers of the warp, is how it was described. So, what, is this like a null maiden power? Like it's like a bomb. No, that I, works think, like a I think maiden? this was just something that interrupted and and kind of. Um kind of messed the signal up almost. Okay, okay. Because um, I was going to say, if it was a null signal, it would affect them too, but they're able to yeah, channel no, it. it. It's, it's a psychic force, but it's designed to, uh, the way they were talking about it was, yeah, to, to interrupt and disrupt the flow of the warp energies and things like that. So just kind of rob it of its, rather than rob it of its source, just rob it of the actual power it had. So they do this, and the, the angel of Sirach, I mean, they banish this demon, basically. Uh, and then I love the end of this chapter, the very end of the book before you get that aftermath. Zahariel was exhausted beyond words, his entire body aching and battered. Though his thoughts were clear and fresh, uncluttered by echoes of sacrifice and the loathsome touch of a creature from beyond the veil. The lion had said nothing on their journey to the surface, keeping his own counsel, surprise, surprise, not even offering words of praise to his warriors. As they boarded the Stormbird, Zahariel felt a strange sensation of unease along his spine, and he turned to discover its source. Lion L. Johnson was looking straight at him. I wonder, God, I want to know what he's thinking here so bad. I yeah, mean, so much is left unsaid. But he's got to know what's going on. Like, he's, you know, I, he's coming to, he's read all that stuff about the demons on his own planet. He's got to see the parallels. He even mentions the parallels on his own planet. You know what I'm saying? And then he comes and sees this thing happening, and of course he's staring at Zahariel, who always seems to know what's going on, who always seems to get out of these things. Yeah, but maybe, but there are other psychers there as well, and you'd think that if it was to do with that, there might be more of a link with other psychers. But I think there is, and this is what comes um, up in the aftermath. It, yeah, absolutely. There's, there's hints and little bits and pieces. Well, because it says, uh, let's see, barely six hours had passed at the victory on mining station 0-5. Events moved with such rapidity upon the return of the expedition fleet could scarcely be what had happened. No sooner had the warriors of Zahariel's company returned to the invincible reason they'd been issued with new deployment orders. So the lion says that the new recruits aren't coming quick enough from Caliban, and he needs to send people back to make sure it happens. And at first, I'm like, okay, wait a minute. He sends back Luther. He sends back Zahariel. Nemiel doesn't have to go back. So why Zahariel? And I'm thinking, okay, well, Zahariel's going to... But he also leaves Brother Librarian Israfel there. And Brother Librarian Israfel is not a Calibanite. And he stays behind. Mm. 
And see, Brother Iberius Raphael is there, as with Eliath and the wounded Eddius, as well as hundreds upon hundreds of local, other local worship. I think he's staring at him, and he's like, no. I think before even the emperor had to ban his psychics, Luther got rid of them all. But it doesn't say that he sends back all the psychics. No, it doesn't. But then why so does he send... Uh, maybe those ones that were at that fight on in with that specific demon. Maybe. But then why would you send those back to look after your... Right. That's exactly. And he's sending protégé. hundreds upon hundreds of other lo- loyal warriors. Yeah. You know that the lion went through the list of every single guy. And hand yeah. shows who stayed and who went and has his reasons. Um, the part that's really sad, there's that last couple of verses. The great crusade would, con- would continue, though it would continue with Zah- without Zahariel. Worse than that, it would continue without the man sitting furthest away from any other in the Stormbird. It would continue without Luther. And that's the end of the book. And yeah, boy, I was mean, I pissed with that ending the first time I read it. Come on. I'm a little bit annoyed with it now. Um, because there's a lack of kind of closure in a way. You no, know. it does. The, the, the book doesn't have an ending, and it still pisses no, me off. And that, and that doesn't that doesn't bother me so much. In that you can have not have an ending, but not leave it quite so oblique as that. It's, yeah, I um, guess that's what I mean. You're, yeah, yeah. Because this time I'm not as annoyed because I knew to expect not to have. But it's even. I mean. When you have a trilogy, each book should generally, even if it's a cliffhanger, should somewhat stand on its own. Yeah. You know, episode four of Star Wars, episode, you know, Star Wars, Empire Strikes Back, they're all their own movies. They yeah. tell a bigger story. Um, the first Matrix told its own story. That's why I was so pissed when I went to see the second Matrix, besides the fact that it was a little bit silly, was I was not expecting to be left with not only with such a cliffhanger, but just not even, I didn't even know what yeah, I was watching, yeah, like, I, you know, you can leave me, I mean, I'll tell you who did it right, Back to the Future Part 2. Yes. They completed the story in the alternate 1985, he fixed his things, oh, the doc's in the past, I gotta get back. So this story's complete, it's still, you know, there's still more story to tell, and it's a cliffhanger, but it's not this kind of a cliffhanger. Um, and, I, you know, I don't know if it's the fault of the author or or what i mean i don't want to blame michael scanlon on the, mitchell scanlon on this but it's just i need yeah, a, it, it's a little it's more tricky. yeah i mean you know i've written at the end there you know going back and kind of and people say those who can't teach <laughs> but that's that's a joke you know well, since I'm teachers a teacher, are, yeah, okay. Should, should be respected. You know, those who can teach, it's like the most important role is the guys coming through have to be to a level. Otherwise, what's the point in bringing them through? Right. And yet, and yet he's sending all these people back that you're getting this strong feeling that he doesn't trust them. But he's sending them back to Caliban to look after all of those ones coming through. But there's just nothing of what he's thinking so you're left with this kind of is that what he's doing is that re- just a really dumb decision is is there something else going on here well, he uh, doesn't make dumb decisions so i know it's not th- and that's what left- I, I actually i'm sitting there trying to figure it out i remember when i first finished reading this i hadn't been talking to you about this yet um i had just started reading it on online in fact you, you know because i was posting on the forum so i just started reading it and you were commenting but i called mm. my friend brian 
And I'm like, okay, so this is a keep your friends close, but your enemies closer, right? He sent back, you know, he was mad at Luther, and Luther's upset that he's not going to be at the war. But he's sending the good guys that he trusts back to Caliban to make sure that these people are coming through good, and he's keeping the ones that he's worried about where he can keep an eye on them, right? And, I mean, he wouldn't tell me anything. But, I mean, that's, and that you know, you read this, and that could be a legitimate reading of this, you know? Yeah. And But I don't know, and it's so... Vague. It's, it's frustrating. Yeah. Uh, you, here's the, here's. I wouldn't have a beef with it if. Um. What's the next book? In the, what's the follow up to this one? Descent of uh, Angels. Fallen Angels. Fallen. If Fallen Angels had been next, or even. Even two or three, four. Books two books lot, down, yeah. but it was like yeah. four or five books down. Was, yeah, a few more. Yeah. It needed to be one or two. Yes. One or two tops. You don't. You don't. You don't get to leave this much open. And not come back to it for a year and a half, two years. Yeah, and and um, not have got anywhere near the heresy. Exactly. As as well, in addition to that, and that all those things, all those little bits combined, and some of them are bigger bits, but all those combined is why this book was so badly received the first time round. Yeah. Um, even and, if you love Dark Angels, so people who love Dark Angels loved this book. But yeah. Even then, I was like, because I, I got a few friends who were really into Dark Angels, and I'm like, come on. Yeah, it's cool, but admit it. You got to the end, and your question, I mean, I think the, the universal, what the hell, was asked when they got to the end of this book. Yeah. I mean, I say, first time around, I enjoyed it more than this time a little bit. Um, but you, you start off with the fact that it, all the other books have been linear, as we said, and this one's set 100 years previously or whatever. And then all the, the vagaries and, and everything that we add up, all the overt um, kind of symbolism right. that builds up. And then at the end of it, you're left with this. And it's just kind of like, oh, you know, I can cope with one or two or three of those things, but not five or six of those things all in the same book. Exactly. Exactly. Which is a shame. Because it really is pretty cool. Like, going and reading it the second time, it's very neat. This is the first time you get to see a planet with with people who are going to become space marines, seeing yeah, their lives before they come, when they come, after. The, it's it's very, it's a unique perspective we have not gotten yet, and I appreciate it for that. Um, in fact, the follow-up book, and no spoilers here, but um, I remember people, you know, it, literally chapter by chapter. This is what's going on in Caliban. This is what's going on in the Crusade. It literally cuts back. Like Caliban yeah. is all the. I think the. I think it starts on Caliban. So that would be all the odd numbered chapters were Caliban, and all the even numbered chapters of the Crusade, or vice versa, whichever. But it literally jumped back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, showing you what was going on. Like at, you know, like at the same time, mm. what was happening. Uh, it was very. It was an interesting book, and I was glad to see it. Even that one sort of left, and I was like, God damn it! I still don't know what's going on. <laughs> and 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 that's kind of like the appeal of the the dark angels was their secrets but it was taken to the nth degree <laughs> okay but there we go i get that they're secrets but if you're going to tell me a story about these yeah. secret keepers you better give me a couple of secrets yeah and they did i mean to be fair they for did. the knowledge the knowledge of the dark angels we had before actually opened up a fair bit but but yeah i agree it's um yeah unfulfilling <laughs> yeah so that's our book, uh, and it's done. On the whole, I'm going to give it, you know, I'm going to give it a marginal thumbs up. I did like it. Um, so far, probably, probably my least favorite so far. Not to say it's the worst book, but just due to 
the the contradictory nature of it and you know like i said you get an unreliable narrator that's cool but then if he's unreliable only sometimes then as you yeah, reliable it needs to be consistency through what you're right. doing the book was very inconsistent that's a good that's it that's that was my yeah. beef with it so uh, my yeah my the other thing for me was the kind of slapping in your face the symbolism um <laughs> it was just it was just a bit too much too often but i, yeah, I enjoyed it I, I didn't think it was a brilliant book um second time around so i enjoyed it slightly more first time around but you know i've read a lot a lot of books that are worse um and there was there was lots of cool stuff in it so yeah there um, is some neat yeah. stuff in it yeah all right so we don't have anything else do we I don't believe so, no. All right. So then I guess we're going to wrap it up, folks. Thank you so much for listening. Oh, one thing I did want to mention, um, and I might have mentioned this at the top of the show. I don't remember. But people are on the forums, and thank you, garagehammer.net slash forums. People are putting on the forums how they're, you know, they've on Daka Daka and other forums. They've been mentioning the yeah, show and promoting brilliant. it. And thank you to all those people. And, and I'm going to just say thanks to Carl from independent characters because I know it was like yeah. three or four episodes ago but there's still people who are coming saying I heard about you guys from listening to the IC podcast and he, yeah and he mentioned this again which was nice of yeah <laughs> which is always so, good so you know I do appreciate that and we will see you in a few weeks with the follow up to Descent of Angels and until then the Emperor protects death to the false emperor Congratulations on completing another episode of After Illinois. David and Greg would love you to come and chat some more about the Horus Heresy in the forums at garagehammer.net slash forum or on the Facebook page. Just search for After Illinois. You can email us if you wish at greg at garagehammer.net or david at garagehammer.net. Finally, you can catch us on Twitter at After Illinois, at Child of Fang for Greg and at garagehammer for David. If you'd like to support the show, you can visit the support page on the main website at garagehammer.net and you can leave a positive review on iTunes. In addition, you can tell all your friends to come and join the community. Many thanks for listening and until the next episode, may the Emperor protect you.